get it going. It's time to get up. I'm worried about south of the border. So that's what we have to worry about is the good of 32 teams once Seattle comes in. And I'm worried about the short-term, first two, three years, and that's why I think the union's being short-sighted. These guys are here to break it all down. And I'm just trying to focus on myself, how I can get better, how I can help my teammates be better, how I can be ready Saturday to play our first preseason game. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm not wasting my 15 minutes in Vancouver every Thursday debating with an idiot. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Solkowski. Rise and shine, Metro Vancouver. It is Thursday, December 10th, 15 days till the big man arrives. James Sabalski here, Perry Zolkowski there, Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass. We are the starting lineup here on your home of Vancouver hockey. We are Sportsnet 650. What's happening, man? Oh, well, see, I love the fact that you count it down. All right. It's not like I can't do the – we're 15 days away. Uh, in front of me this morning when I woke up, a pile of letters to go out to uh, wife's family, which is my family overseas in Britain. Uh, no chance in hell they're getting there, are they? 15 days? No, 15 days? Just, hell no. No, that's okay, though. So th- that's the thought that counts, right? When you get that Christmas letter from the Solkowskis mid-January, Ugh, I'm sure you probably put it in the mail December 1st. Of course we did. Of course we put it in December 1st, if not November, because we love you. Uh, well, you know, the thought that counts. We feel like once I deliver them all today, my, last night my wife finished out her class. Oh, I hate doing that. I go, yeah, I know, I do. I know you do. And I always say, can I help? And you say, no, you don't good penmanship. And, and they'll love the letters. And I go, yeah. And I know how to make sure we got the right stamps on them. So we've been doing it for a long time. But yeah, they'll be late. That's all right. Three weeks ago, man. Three weeks ago in my mind. Oh, we're going to get a family card out this year. We'll send a picture out with all the fam to our friends all across the country. And, um, you know, three weeks later, um, didn't happen. (laughs) But here's the thing. And I I mentioned to Kath, and with all your young kids, I said, listen, we probably have the emails of everybody. Should we not just point the phone at us and go, hey, it's it's Pear, it's Kath, it's Han. We just want to let's go in front of the tree. Do 30 seconds. Hope you're well. We can personalize it. It's like the, what is it, Cameo. We can, and send it to them. Here's the email. It's coming to them. We'll do it. It will send it 48 hours before, hey, the countdown's at the, like, don't you think that's the way to do it now? Yeah, uh, but then somebody's got to watch that. <laughs> well, someone's got to open up your letter. <laughs> yeah, but that's a lot e- That's a lot shorter time. Like, oh, look, Merry Christmas. Okay, let's, let's stick it on the fridge or, you know, put it on the wall or put it on a yes. mantelpiece, right? You know, watching a 40-second video, hey, it's Perry, it's Kathy, it's Hannah. You know, you got to hope that somebody likes you in the family for 45 seconds to commit to that video. I feel like the card, way easier. What does it take? Three seconds to open up the, an envelope, throw it on the mat, you know, look at the picture for two seconds. Uh, it's nice of them to send us that. All right, put yeah. it on the fridge. Move it on. You know what well, I mean? Like, that's I 10 seconds. That's I 10 seconds. Yeah, I, I give it to you. I, I think you know, and at the end of the day, for us, most of them are going to aunts and uncles and and all that. The older, the older crowd that is like, oh, awesome! I got a, you know, I got a letter. But as my wife said, she goes, you know, have you gone to the mailbox recently? I go, no, I haven't. She goes, like our daughter's getting Christmas cards. We got nothing. I go, well, I haven't done much in the last seven months. Huh? I don't know. People forgetting about it. I'm not worried about it. I think we're okay. So you get a couple. There you go. About there... 15 days, the letters grow out today. They're not going to make it. 
Nice. There we go. Uh, here's what we got coming up over the next uh, three hours here on this uh, Thursday morning. Uh, Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast will join us in about 15 minutes. Uh, look ahead to uh, this weekend in the National Football League. Try to get you paid uh, this weekend in the National Football League and try to help you pay off Christmas. Uh, we'll also check in with Brian Burke. Burke, he joins us each and every Thursday morning uh, just after 7 o'clock, and today is no different. Looking forward to that conversation there. And the Vancouver Canadians and the Toronto Blue Jays are still Woo-hoo. together like peas and carrots. And Andy Dunn, the president of the Vancouver Canadians, uh, will join us in the 8 o'clock hour to discuss that relationship. Man, they're going to play, you know, the, the Seas have benefited pair from uh, beautiful weather in june july and august here in vancouver like when it's at its optimum best you know that season is now if you wanted more baseball at the net you're going to get more baseball at the net in the, in the regards of about 140 games now Whoa. and that means there's going to be some wet gray dark nights will you still be inclined to go more opportunity for the vancouver canadians but Will it work? I, I remember talking to one business person. Uh, they explored the idea of AAA ball years ago, and they kind of scoffed at the idea because they thought, eh, baseball in April and May may not necessarily fly here in a, in a city that could be fair weather at times. Uh, if ever there was a team that benefited from less is more, I think it's been the seas, right? You just think about, uh, you know, it's, it's a gorgeous July, uh, June, and you're going, hey, let's just go to the baseball game. I, we've said this before. You go there, you watch. Maybe you see a potential major league player, but you're going there because of the venue. You're going there to have a beer. You're going there to socialize. Um, but it, it's funny. Hey, the premier jumped on board by all reports. He picked up the phone and talked to our parents yeah. and said, hey. Uh, we love you. We, you know, you got to keep it. Now, what was the Nat going to be if they lost to baseball? There's a beautiful venue that I don't know who they're housing. So uh, flexing some muscle was Mr. Horgan to get it. But we'll see. I think there's a I think there's a bigger baseball fan core base here than maybe we give credit. Um, and, you know, if you've, you've got those ties to the Jays, you know, as well as I do, you walk around, there's Jays hats. So if you can play that affiliation up and you're going to see their good players, Hey, they'll put people in the seats, and as soon as the sun comes up, they're going to get the average sports fan, too. So it's great news when things are going away that there was some work done by everybody, even the Premier, to keep the Jays affiliated here with the Vancouver Canadiens. Yeah, I mean, John Horgan, love, love hearing that, uh, that the Premier seeing the value in that. And look, uh, the fact is that the Jays have been on for generations uh, on television now, and really the only Major League Baseball team on in this market for the last 20 years, unless you have MLB Network, or you head down to T-Mobile Park in the summer. The Jays mm-hmm. are the team out here, and you look. all you need to do is look around in the summer at the ball cap of choice for most people. Yes, I get there's some Yankees fans like Randeep, and there are some Red Sox fans out there, and there's some Mariners fans, but I'm telling you the Jays are the driving force, and that makes a difference, I think, at the Nat. Uh, we'll get into that coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, the Canucks uh, making some news. Uh, Jalen Chatfield back in the fold, and he's going to get a good opportunity uh, for the Canucks. We'll get to that in, in just a couple minutes. But also, uh, Gary Bettman talking to NHL.com yesterday, Pear, and basically alluding to that um, probably the strongest comments that we've heard yet. But if everything stays the way it is, we're probably going to have a Canadian division and realign in the U.S. And Sportsnet has learned what the divisions will look like. Man, we, we talk so much about the strength and the depth of the Canadian division. I mean, there's 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 some heavyweights 
in the Canadian division, it's going to be tough outside of Ottawa, right? I mean, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, mm-hmm. Calgary, and, and the Canucks. But look at some of these other divisions that are going to be set to roll. I, I don't think you'll find three tougher teams going head-to-head uh, in a division than Colorado, Dallas, and Vegas. I mean, whoever comes out of that division, will they have anything left for any of the other divisions? Well, they will. You know why? Because they're going to be playing eight or nine games against an Anaheim, a Los Angeles, and a San Jose. I, I think the Canadian division is the toughest division there is because other than Ottawa, you're going to get a battle. You're going to get a battle from everybody. But when Colorado sees it, you know, they make that California trip and take on Anaheim and L.A. and San Jose. Yeah, they'll have there's there's four. That's the easiest division to look at and go. These these teams are winning. Right. I mean, out east, you can go. I don't think New Jersey is going to give a whole lot of push. Neither will Buffalo. And so you'll see some battles with Crosby and Ovechkin going at it on a regular basis and a Philadelphia Flyer team that's scrappy and throw in Boston. It's tough there. Uh, but I, I think the, the Canadian division is great. But when you see it set up and you look at it and you go, if they're just allowing four in, man, it's going to be a battle for the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, no preseason. It's a matter of who can jump out of the gate and hang on. Uh, I, I look at it this way. All right, 56 games, it'll be different, and it's going to be tough, stiff competition. But I honestly think if you look at it as a year of preparation, and maybe that's Jim Benning's way by not spending a bunch of money, and next year you get to say, hey, nice to see you again, Anaheim. Nice to see you again, San Jose and L.A. It'll make the core of this hockey team better. I don't know if they're a playoff team, but they'll be better for having this kind of competition over 56 games starting January. Uh, to me, without question, it's the division in the Northeast. Boston, Rangers, Islanders, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, Buffalo, New Jersey. You got, what, four Stanley Cup appearances in the last five years with teams in that division. The Bruins, Caps, Penguins have got a couple of Stanley Cup wins since 2016. Flyers are loaded. You know, the Rangers are going to take another step forward this year. The Islanders are pretty much, I mean, that team doesn't get enough props, but the Islanders have been pretty much, what, around a Final Four, Final Eight team for the last how many years? You know, the Devils should take another step forward in theory this year, and look at the Sabres did this offseason. I mean, goaltending, I think, is still probably a big question mark for them and their back end, but, I mean, look at the talent they've amassed, and, and this offseason adding... Taylor Hall. I mean, I think a lot of people have looked Eric Stahl to that mix. There's a lot of things that the Sabres did finally this offseason that people finally went, okay, you know what, that's a thumbs up there. That, to me, that division is going to be intense. And look at the travel advantage that they have there, Pair. That's crazy. Like, you got teams that can hop on a bus and go 90 minutes to another game. Think about what the Canucks' shortest commute is. The Canucks' shortest commute is a 90-minute flight to Calgary. Yeah, every year we look at his schedule, and, you know, and Berkey will ask him at 7 o'clock as he joins us, and you kind of go, oh, man, what, what's the Canucks travel look like? There's the big monster road trip. But here's the thing, as producer Mike English points out, Vancouver Canucks, when are they playing in their own time zone? They're not. I mean, good when you're going to have a homestand that might be six or seven games, but the Vancouver Canucks will not play in their own time zone. It's crazy that that's the setup that they have. Now, you want to talk time zone and the biggest team that's complaining, it's St. Louis Blues. 
St. Louis Blues are, are going, hang on here. Do you know where we're situated? We're going to Anaheim in California. They actually, the TV broadcaster had to almost give it the blessing because you're going to be watching Blues games that start at 10 o'clock at night if you're a fan. Half your season from your Stanley Cup champs of two years ago is late. But yeah, the travel will be difficult again for the Canucks. And as we've talked about before, anytime, James, we've talked to players out in our broadcasting career and they say, hey, what's it like when you come to a Vancouver team or wherever you're traded from? They go, man, like, the number of times I slept in my bed when I played for the Penguins was ridiculous. And now it's even going to be better for them because, yeah, where, where do you got to go? You're jumping on a bus. You're coming back. Travel will be easy. That helps the situation out. I, I think the fact that it's a shorter schedule is not that big of a deal. Tampa's got to do more traveling than they have in a long time. You know, they got to take off to Minnesota and Chicago and Detroit. I like the Canadian division. It's going to be successful. It's going to be fun to watch, but I'm just not so sure it makes the Vancouver Canucks a playoff team this year taking on that competition. Well, and that's and that's the issue. And there was uh, there was a guy, um, Jay Fresh, uh, who deals with hockey analytics on uh, Twitter yesterday, who kind of did a uh, a war roster builder, and his calculations had the Canucks uh, finishing second last, ahead mm-hmm. of only Ottawa. Um, and to which, you know, Canucks Twitter certainly let this guy have it. I think he's based out in Halifax. Um, he's not so he, fresh anymore. But apparently not. No, I think he's changed his name to Jay Stale. But mm-hmm. there's Toronto atop the Canadian division. Calgary second tied with Winnipeg. Edmonton right there in third. Montreal uh, into the next into that division. And then followed by the Senators, or sorry, followed by the Canucks and the Senators a distant last which I think I, everybody will concede that the Senators are the worst of the lot in the seven Canadian teams. But you're right. You know, the travel impact could be huge for the Vancouver Canucks. Like, unless they're at home, they're in another time zone over the course of the mm-hmm. year. That's, you know, that's going to be something that they're going to have to deal with. There's a lot of young players, so you might have the fresh legs with it. But beyond that pair, like, that's – that's going to be another major hurdle for this team to try to overcome this coming season. I understand putting all the numbers in and running it, but don't you think going into this season, no preseason, uh, vaccine or not, COVID-19 is going to knock players out of the lineup and it could be players on teams, not one. There are so many intangibles, more so than any other in the history of this league, that this 56-game sprint, um, you know, who knows? look at what happened to Winnipeg in the bubble. What are they, a, a period in and Mark Shifley's gone? You're going to have those situations. And as we talked about yesterday, the Swiss Army knife that you dealt with, yeah, where's where's your depth coming from? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the numbers don't look good, I guess, if you run it in an analytical basis. But I, I think just in whole, Toronto's deeper. Calgary will be deeper. Winnipeg, you're wondering if that window was closing. Can they figure it out? Where do the Oilers go without goaltending? Montreal makes all the changes. Vancouver's biggest ad is Nate Schmidt. He helps, and they need the growth from within. I, I don't disagree with him coming out and saying, you know what, the Canucks are going to have 59 points. The Leafs will win it with 71, and the Canucks will be much better than Ottawa, but they're not going to catch Montreal. I don't look at those and go, he's crazy, but I do think there's intangibles that are going to happen that we can't calculate. This I, I I just think that, look, I think I've said it a few times. I, I see the Canucks being around that five spot, uh, just somewhere around that four or five spot. I know a lot of people, you're crazy to think that. Just think that, man, it can go it can go anywhere for any team, right? If, and injuries, like, it is tight, man. When you look at those six teams mm-hmm. up top, you know, when you factor in Winnipeg, like Winnipeg's got great goaltending. You know, they've still got a ton of depth up front. 
You know, you kind of poke holes at their blue line. You know, the Canucks have obviously questions to address. I think goaltending is a major question for the Canucks this season. I mean, you love to, you love what you saw to close out the year with Thatcher Demko. Um, I think, you know, it's a great resume that Braden Holpe brings to the fold. But, man, Braden Holpe hasn't been Braden Holpe for a couple of years. You know, Demko, the same sort of thing. Is is he for real going forward? You know, what's that blue line going to look like? You know, can the Canucks continue to take another step forward here as a team? And I think you look at every team. There's questions about each Canadian team. We'll get into this uh, and continue more. The Dunbar Lumber text line, always open for business at 650-650. We'll get to uh, more Canucks stuff coming up at the bottom of the hour. But Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast joins us here on this Thursday morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you guys? Well, Pear, man, Pear's been making money, it sounds like. I mean, he never really reveals his mm-hmm. picks on the air, but then always tells you, you know, the, you know Todd, we, you know this song and dance, right? It's always a day later. It's like, hey, I made another thousand bucks. You know, that's how it works. When you can put your bets in after the results have already gone final, it's actually impossible to lose bets. So I'd be disappointed <laughs> if Perry wasn't hitting at a 97% hey, clip. Hey, Furman, that's, that's that Vegas Dave guy who looks by you. So that's not me. Uh, no, you know what? I listen. I I have I have uh, ventured out to say what I have done on some. I I agreed with with our, our other analyst Steve Rapp, where he said, "Man, you're you're taking money. Just take New England against what Bill has done against young quarterbacks." Russell Wilson hurt me, but all in all, the uh, the Monday nighter and the fact that I thought the Buffalo Bills were a really good football team. That brought it home for me. So although I feel very confident as the number continues to go up, I do wait for you to tell me what to do tonight because I have, uh, I have always thought that Rams football team and way they, the way they play, they are moving the right way. So well, as we fast. say, let's it's talk been, about what would you do tonight? Yeah, it's been fascinating to kind of watch this line movement here. You're seeing professional money coming into New England every time this number gets to six. Uh, there's immediate buyback on the dog. And when you dig into New England's offensive numbers so far this season, they've been able to run the football top five in that particular department, but there's been no passing game to speak of. Last week, they didn't have to throw the ball against the Chargers in that dominant performance. Two weeks ago against Arizona, they gained 179 yards as a team, ultimately won the game outright. So it's been interesting because when you're matched up against a top three defense and one of the best in the league in the Rams in terms of yards per play profile, you wonder how New England will be able to sustain drives. Meanwhile, on the other side, though, Jared Goff has been the model of inconsistency. He was great last week against Arizona. Two weeks ago, not so stellar in a loss against the 49ers. And you wonder if the Rams can overcome some of that history and baggage, so to speak, from what unfolded in the Super Bowl between these two teams a few years ago. From a side perspective, uh, no strong feeling for me one way or another, but I can see making a case for going under the total. If the Patriots are going to be competitive, it's not going to be playing a track meet where they're a little bit limited in terms of offensive firepower. Todd Furman mm-hmm. from the Bet the Board podcast here on Sportsnet Six Week. There, there's like this weekend. There are some fascinating matchups, and obviously the heavyweight matchup in the AFC. You've got the Steelers and the Bills. Steelers have lost one game all year, but I guess maybe recency bias would say they didn't look great against a, a heavily undermanned Ravens squad a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and then they finally lose this past week. But the Bills are two-and-a-half-point favorites going into the Sunday nighter. How do you see this one playing out? A number of factors coming in here. You're exactly right that the Steelers have more or less lost their luster uh, amid mediocre play. They finally get knocked from the ranks of the unbeaten, squandering a 14-0 lead on Monday night against Washington and an offense that really didn't generate much in the second half, well under four yards per play. 
Meanwhile, Buffalo has really become the talk of the town. Perry's spot on with their dominant performance Monday night. Full disclosure, yeah. I was on the other side and never really had a snowball's chance to cash my 49ers ticket. And you look at Buffalo 5-1 and one over their last six, that only blemish coming in the Hale-Murray with the improbable sequence to close things out against the Cardinals. Josh Allen looking every bit the part of a franchise quarterback with a shade less than 400 yards and throwing it all over the yard. The big question you have in this particular spot, is it a good buy low opportunity for the Steelers as the favorite has swung? You've seen a number move about five points in this one, but a lot of defensive concerns for the Steelers. Not only are Bud Dupree and Devin Bush out and will be lost for the season, Joe Hayden, we're not quite sure of his availability and concussion protocol. Steven Nelson, a full participant in practice, so that's at least some level of optimism. But you do lose Robert Spillane to a knee injury. So the Steelers are a mash unit in the back. If Buffalo can protect Josh Allen, I think there'll be plenty of opportunities for them to take over the top. One of the toughest games for me to handicap and no strong convictions either way. Here's Todd Furman, Bet the Board podcast, breaking things down for us. I guess the last one on the ticket uh, is, is maybe, to me, the most intriguing one because I think you get those football games where – you can kind of announce yourself to the world and the league and say, we're for real. That's how I look at that Cleveland Browns, Baltimore Ravens team, both teams coming off impressive performances to go, okay, who's got what now? How do you break that last Monday night or downtown? Well, Cleveland, uh, when you look at the Browns, they're on a four game win streak for the second time this season. They haven't won five straight games since 1994 when Bill Belichick was their head coach. They've at least officially clinched their first winning season since 2007 and now trying to break down the barriers to getting into the postseason. These two teams uh, over their last five meetings, Baltimore has had a little bit of success against Baker Mayfield. Mayfield only eight touchdowns to seven interceptions, his completion percentage below 60. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson, his past two starts against this Browns team, six touchdowns, no picks. And when you look at the Ravens against the Browns overall, they've gone 9-2-1 and one against the spread on the road against Cleveland. Sure, they lost here a season ago. Uh, I look at Baltimore, and they got back to their DNA with the imposing ground game against the Dallas Cowboys on Tuesday. I think they'll be able to bring pressure against Baker Mayfield and company. And when I look at this number here, uh, my early lean is towards the Ravens as a one-point favorite, especially if they'll be healthy on the defensive line, knowing that Baker will not have the same clean pocket to operate in against Baltimore uh, that he did in that dominant performance against Tennessee last Sunday. Yeah, is this, man, is this a historical sort of line? The fact that the Browns are as good as they've been, they're coming off a really impressive dominant victory, and they're at home, and there's still a dog here? Well, I think it just goes to show that Cleveland, despite all their success from a power rating perspective, hasn't been able to bridge that gap and get into that upper echelon. Baltimore, though, has been a team typically overvalued. They haven't exactly exceeded odds makers' expectations. Yeah! But, but coming into this season, uh, this was a Ravens side picked by many to win the AFC. You do wonder if it's a little bit of a buy-low spot. And from a desperation standpoint, game means a heck of a lot more to Baltimore than it does Cleveland, as if the season ended today, the Ravens would be on the outside looking in and you wonder about Cleveland and how they'll handle prosperity knowing that they also have a big primetime game looming a week from Sunday as the Cowboys Niners game was flexed out in favor of the Cleveland Browns and the New York Giants something that I'm sure won't sit all that well with Jerry Jones do you think in a couple of years people may go I'd take Baker Mayfield over Lamar Jackson 
Uh, I think from a pro-style quarterback standpoint, it's going to be easier, in my opinion, to figure out the book on Lamar Jackson. And I'm curious to see what Baker Mayfield's ceiling looks like. Uh, had this discussion with some folks in Nashville, and they wanted me to try and create a comp. Uh, I look at guys like Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins, who are able to operate with a little bit of mobility, utilize play action and a power ground game. I think Baker's cut from that same cloth and mold. He's not going to go out there and win games entirely on his own, like a Patrick Mahomes or some of the upper echelon guys. But when you have a run game to complement what Baker can do in the pocket, uh, I think as long as his decision making continues to improve, no reason to believe that Baker can't be, you know, uh, a top 15, maybe even a top 10 quarterback, but never getting into that truly top tier. Uh, finally, I want I want you to look at the the Chiefs and the Dolphins, Tua and Mahomes. Tua hasn't thrown a pick yet in the NFL, but that that Dolphins defense, I, like I look at that line, Chiefs by seven on the road, kind of smell like Miami can keep that one closer. What do you think? It's been interesting because Kansas City has no doubt disappointed uh, their betters. When you look at how yeah. they've performed against the oh, spread, man. they're winning games by the narrowest of margins. The crazy thing about it is I don't know if anybody who watched the game Sunday night against Denver goes, man, we really thought Denver was going to be able to pull off the upset or the game <laughs> against Tampa where they got out to a 17 nothing lead. Yeah. Ultimately didn't cover, but were never truly threatened. Kansas City right now has to work through some red zone issues. They're 0 for their last seven trips in there. Kicked a myriad of short field goals with Harrison Budker. If those turn into touchdowns, we're looking at a bigger number here. And while Miami, after starting the season a little bit slowly, has compiled a 7-1 and straight-up record, they're 9-3 and against the number, which is a league best. The one concern I have for the Dolphins is you look at the opposing offenses that they faced in recent weeks. The last three, Cincinnati, the Jets, and Denver, no great shakes there. The Chargers, Arizona, and Rams are before that. They haven't seen a quarterback like they're going to encounter in Kansas City. But keep tabs on the health of Tyreek Hill. Mispracticed yesterday for an illness. They said it was non-COVID related. As this number trends down, uh, I actually would make a slight case for Kansas City if I can lay six and a half. I think this is a step up in class for the Dolphins, despite, as you mentioned, Tua playing extremely well and finding a little bit of a swagger when they went to a tempo offense in the second half last weekend against the Bengals. You take care, man. Nice to catch up. Some good games. Uh, much uh, feels like a bit of a market correction from last weekend, but uh, stay safe, and we'll do it again next week, all right? Always a pleasure, gents. Good luck with your wagers. Perry, I look forward to hearing you went 17-0 with sides and totals this weekend in the National Football League. Hey, I had the Cowboys. So, listen, I wasn't perfect, but at the end it was an okay week. That's all that matters. It's putting up those weeks in the green because you can't go broke taking profit. Uh, well Thanks, said. Bro. There he is. Todd Furman from the Bet the Board podcast joining us here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, 26 minutes after 6 o'clock here on this Thursday morning. Brian Burke at 7 o'clock. The Canucks uh, franchise value revealed for 2020. We'll get into that. And Jalen Chatfield back in the fold as well. All coming up. A little Canucks style right here on your home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650. Welcome to the starting lineup with Jim Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 631, well, just in time for Christmas. Taylor Swift announcing a surprise ninth studio album. And just might break the internet there, Perry. Oh, a surprise, old Swifty man. She knows how to market. Hey, Taylor's I have no problem with Taylor Swift and what she's done. I became on her side when, when Kanye comes in there and steals her thunder as a teenager. She's had a rock and roll. Hey, want to mention this? It just came down. We just heard Chris Wall. Uh, you know, we, we've debated. We continued to debate, you know, what is right with this World Junior Hockey Tournament. 
News now, and there's an Ottawa connection for you with one of your pals here, Seaball. The Swedish Ice Hockey Federation is looking for a replacement. Their entire coaching staff, because of quarantine issues, is not coming. They've lost their entire coaching staff, so now they're literally out looking for a coach to coach the team in Edmonton here in Canada. They're looking for that coach, and apparently Daniel Alfredson is the guy that they're trying to convince to come coach the junior team in Edmonton. And doesn't that tell you something about the tournament where the entire coaching staff's out and you're kind of looking around going, hey, can you help out? It's just a little tournament. Yeah, it means a little bit. But that's what they're forced to do right now. Well, it's it, it sure feels that they are determined to try to get this off the ground one yes. way or another. But I, 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 it's hard not to think that is Sweden going to look at what's happening here and you look at the cases that are spiking there? I mean, they're going through the roof right now. And think about the conversation, you know, the people looking at, at Sweden at one time about eight, nine months ago. Oh, look what they're doing. They're doing it right. Well, maybe not. And 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 I wonder, do they pull the shoot? And if Sweden pulls the shoot, then how many other countries um, will do the same? And, I, and, and then here comes the other question, Pear. How much do you trust of the other nations to be following protocol right now, right? And, oh yeah. And, and listen, I'm not going to say point. that we're we're perfect as as a nation here. I mean, I think there's been some speed bumps, and you know, if you if you were to do a you know to do a deep dive 15 years from now down the road and go, okay, what could we have done differently uh, from a city standpoint, from a province standpoint, from a from a country standpoint? Yeah, I think there there's definitely some missteps along the way, but I would. Uh, it's hard to see. I, I wonder if somebody's going to say, you know what, this isn't worth it. But I, obviously a lot of parents want these kids to go too, right? They feel good enough about their kids going to play, and and I think they're determined to get this tournament off the ground one way or another. Well, I, I would think if, if, you know, if Sweden's saying here's our situation, the kids want to go, so now it's up to us to find a coach, I would think they've had the conversation. Guys, we're going to be in a really tough spot. Does everyone still want to go? And, you know, uh, and again, I think it's the mighty dollar talked about it with hockey Canada, but if Sweden has the same mindset and you've got the kids and saying, yeah, we're ready to go. So they're just going as a federation. Okay. We'll put together a new management staff and we'll look for a new coaching staff. Does anybody have Daniel's number in Ottawa? Anybody else around? Who's there is, is Louis Erickson in Vancouver. Like I, it's, it just is crazy to me that they have to go this far, but if they're looking at this, then they're going. It's like, yeah, we'll meet you at the airport and we'll introduce you to the players and then you'll stand behind the bench. I wish someone would speak to the tournament, but it's almost like, hey, just get your team there. Swiss loses three players today. Sweden's looking for a head coach, but tournament's still on. I, I can't see them pulling back on it if no one said anything now. It's just like, okay, let's get to the bubble and we'll play. But whoever's there is there, right? Look, I, I, I'm just going to say this. I want to see the National Hockey League come back. I want to see the pros get up and running again. But it would seem very hypocritical of me to sit there and say, let's drop the puck on the NHL and let's throw the towel in on the World Juniors. And, you know, the real the reality is, like, look, the numbers are going through the roof right now in Alberta, but they're talking about trying to do it in a bubble, which is way more than what the National Hockey League is saying. If, if they want to do it and if everybody's a willing participant to do it, then ultimately that's fine. I think it's a bad look to sit there and invite 10 different countries right now into our country at a time like the borders are closed. But, you know, obviously money talks, right? I mean, at, at the root of it, man, it's money's at everything right now. All these return to plays, you know, the NHL and the players battling over economics. You know, it's it's money. It's problem, all problem money. Is, 
Yeah, it is, James. It's money for the NHL because your players, that's how they make their livelihood. But to me, you're still dealing with kids. And you need an adult to step up, and the adults are saying it's more important for the money. Yeah, but what about the kids? You know, in BC, if you're 19, you can't go skate. Oh, no, that's okay. But it is, man. They, re- like, they dude, really want to do it. So that's the problem. I don't think it's hypocritical. I think the fact is you're dealing with with a business, which is the NHL, and they have the money, and they want to make the money. And you're, you're dealing with hockey federations that are riding on the backs of kids, and they're trying to make money. Pear, look at it, man. I think you got moms and dads that are obviously signing off with their kids playing at the World Juniors, right? You got yeah, agents. Sure. There's moms and dads. Like there, there you go. Like it's there. There are kids. I, I, I mean that's 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 the reality. I I think overwhelmingly all those parents have clearly signed off about their children going off to play. I mean they're 18, 19 years old. Do you want to play? I mean this might be the only hockey they play this year, right? Like somebody's signing off on it. I, I like do I would I feel comfortable with my own kid going playing right now? No, but. I think everybody's different. Like everybody's got a different threshold in terms of what they feel and where they're at, right? You 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 want everybody to obey public health orders, and look, I mean Alberta's giving them the green light, and obviously all those parents, all those families, the roughly fifty kids that have been in this training camp for for what's felt like two months now, and not to mention a two week quarantine, uh, it's clear that everybody has kind of said, "Yeah, go ahead, son. Good luck." Yeah, I guess right? it's, it's the moral ground, right? Uh, money is going to trump maybe what's what's right here. And hey, and those kids aren't get getting paid though. They're hockey over the holidays. Yeah, those kids aren't getting paid either, right? Like they're just they're just going to play. Well, that's my issue, right? They're just going to play. But but pair take the issue with the mom and dad then, right? Like like yeah, it's, because like, what, like are you is what? your issue more with hockey Canada? Or is your issue more with the parents of the kids that are going to play? Right now, I would just like to see Hockey Canada step up and address the concerns and just say, hey, we're uh, we reading the headlines like you. We've we've had conversations with Sweden. Everyone there feels they're safe. They've lost some players. This is why we're doing it. Uh, we're, we're moving ahead. You know, the only conversation you have from hockey people right now is about cuts and players and what line they're on. I would make something else. Anyways, that's my point. Want sure. to get something else to say? Money, money. Uh, that's it. All right. Anyway. All right. 638. Time for today's edition of Seaball Says. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself. Seaball Says on Sportsnet 650. Forbes has released its latest NHL franchise values for 2020. And to no one's shock, the New York Rangers topped the list at a whopping $1.65 billion, followed by the Leafs, Habs, Hawks, and Bruins rounding out the top five and all at a billion or more. While none of the top franchises dropped in value this past year, the average team across the National Hockey League dropped by about 2% overall, marking the first time in almost 20 years that franchises in the league have dropped. Although, in fairness, we're in a pandemic. Yeah, a little more money, more problems. And the Canucks, they rank 10th overall with a value right now of $725 million. 
And that's a 2% drop, surprise, surprise, from last year. But the more telling sign is just how much the club's worth has dropped over the last six years. According to Statista.com, Vancouver peaked at $800 million in value in 2014, but a painful rebuild began, and within a year, that club plummeted $55 million. Now, there have been some quiet rumblings over the last few years that the Aquilinis might be interested in selling the Canucks, but that was something that Francesco denied to us when we spoke here on this radio station two years ago. I don't know where that came from, but the team's not for sale. I mean, this is a family business, family asset. It's it's our pride, and, you know, we're part of the community here. I grew up here. I grew up two blocks away from the Coliseum. I've always been a fan, so we, we have no intentions of selling it. Now, for years, Vancouver was seen as a small market team, a Canadian club trying to keep their head above water. But that conversation no longer exists. A hard cap helped, and Aquilini also deserves some credit for that, spending to the cap regularly. But the club is now clinging to a spot in the top ten amongst the league. Six years ago, Forbes had the Canucks listed at fifth overall, but they've dropped $75 million in value since. It's been a long five years for fans, but there's a new belief in this club not seen since the Twins were in their prime. Pedersen, Hughes, Horvat, and company have got something good going, and while it remains to be seen whether this core can finally win that elusive cup here in Vancouver, they will help at the box office for a fan base that had soured for a half decade, of course, when the fans ultimately can return. In front, Pedersen scores! What a finish! Now, people love a winner, and a winning club should bode well, not just in the standings, but for the price tag of the Canucks franchise. And if Petey and Hughes prove to be the real deal, then perhaps, once fans get their butts back in Rogers Arena and Vancouver is a consistent winner again... Here comes the money! Here we go! Money talks! Here comes the money! Canucks Nation just might very well be a billion-dollar industry... After all, and that's today's Seaball Says. Tough to look at the numbers, uh, what we've been dealing with in a business that's built on people coming through the stands and don't have them. Interesting that the Stanley Cup champions actually lost $10 million to the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. If ever there was a year not to win, it was them. Lightning Lightning win two Stanley Cups. One's during the pandemic. The other, the next lockout started, so they never even got that celebration and to uh, build on that in October. But, yeah, listen, I, I, I think the Canucks and Aquilini look at the numbers and go, that's okay, but what is something like 25% of the profit of the NHL comes from the top five teams? I don't know if that's unlike any other sport, but I, I wouldn't look at Forbes to James and go, hockey's in trouble. No, I don't think that they're in trouble just yet, but you look at what the impact of a rebuild here in this market has done for the value of this franchise, you know, it's rebuilds suck. <laughs> they're painful, yeah. man, especially when you're the one foot in the bill. Well, but guess what? You hang on to it. And you hang on to it, and as you said, if you hang on to it, then you prosper. I guess the one thing that is unknown is how many people are coming back. Like, I don't know if people are coming back in droves. I mean, financially, everyone's been crippled from this. Is it normal again in three years? I would think so. I would hope so. But who knows? I mean, Berkey will join us in a little bit. I, I think he feels the economic model is going to be broken for a while. But, yeah, I don't think uh, you look at that and go, hmm, 
tough situation, but obviously if you're Aquilini, people, we said, who do you want to buy stock in? The Vancouver Canucks are going to be one of the hottest properties in the NHL. Uh, here's hoping. Yeah, I mean, they're trending in the right direction. I think that, like I said, I mean, uh, Hughes and Pedersen certainly give a belief in this market that we haven't seen in almost mm-hmm. 10 years. All right, 644, Brian Burke will join us coming up at 7 o'clock. We can dive into some franchise values with Berkey, and in a moment, no BS, just PS next on Sportsnet 650. It's all PS, no BS, right here on the starting lineup. Here are some extra things you need to know on this Thursday morning. A little P.S. to you. He has been an influencer for decades. Lots of people follow what he says, and he's liked by millions. And that's good enough for Bob Costas, who had a fake Twitter account opened up yesterday. He addressed the issue yesterday afternoon because friends were texting him saying, this can't be you, Bob. This is the best indication that hell has frozen over (laughs) since the 04 Red Sox or the 2016 Cubs. But I am here to assure you and everybody else yes. that the fires of hell are still very much blazing because I am absolutely not on Twitter. They have taken the bogus account down. And I began thinking, you know, what would actually, what would I have to do before I ever deign to be on Twitter? What? Like, Binge watch The Real Housewives of Orange County. (laughs) Hire Rudy Giuliani as my personal attorney. (laughs) Make a return trip to Sochi just for the nostalgia of a pink eye episode. Bob Costas would be great on Twitter, but I forgot about the pink eye. Hey, imagine the big gig is always the Olympics, and he went there to Russia, and he got pink eye. Uh, Well, at least he's honest about it, right? Don't screw Don't around. Look for him soon. That ain't me. I ain't never going on Twitter. I mean, if you made that oh. much money already and you haven't had to use social media, why would you mess with a good thing? Yeah, I don't think you see Al Michaels on Twitter either. There's a few of them that have stayed away. Hey, P.S. Man, we've been talking about sports paraphernalia. Anybody have an interest in a hockey stick from roughly, oh, 1870, 1880? Oh, the good old hockey game. Is the best game you can name, and the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. James, love this story from your neck of the woods out east. A guy's a landscaper. So in the 80s, he's working on the home of a widow, and she's getting ready to sell. So he befriends her, and she says, listen, in the basement, there's just a bunch of junk there. Go down and take a look and see if you want anything there. It's my ex. It's my husband's. It's my deceased husband and the guy looks around and he finds a book on the second world war and he takes it well they remain friends right and so he's having coffee there one day and she's getting closer to selling the house and says you know what i went downstairs and i i found this it's a stick that my my husband's uncle gave him i don't know but you may as well take it so the guy takes it and thanks her and he doesn't think about it for like 20 years and then there in the 2010 olympics he pulls it out and looks and goes wow like I should take this to someone and find out what the deal is. And it's a stick that would have been made, they're guessing, between 1870 to the 1900s. It could be valued anywhere from 300000 to a couple million. The guy, and by the way, the widow died just a couple of years ago who gave him the stick. But uh, now he's looking at selling it. Think of what the weight of that stick would be, right? Like oh, that's a piece gosh. of lo- like that. You're looking at like rosewood or <laughs> mahogany, oh, you know, oh, oak, I know. something just yeah, heavy, that- right? 
Yeah, I hope there wasn't slashing. Big time slashing in the early days of hockey because, yeah, you're breaking legs. Hey, P.S., uh, this was announced this week that there's eight world-class rugby players. They filed a suit against World Rugby and the Rugby World Union for alleged negligence dealing with brain damage and concussions. Now, Canadian Jamie Cudmore, he's involved with the suit himself with the French Rugby League. Listen to him describing how he was pushed in his career to play over a couple-week episodes. First tackle I made of that game, I was uh, sparked out again, went through another AHIA, kept playing, had another uh, head knock in the about 67th minute where uh, I was cut, taken off the field, got stitched up, started puking in the uh, in the change room while I was getting stitched up um, and, you know, wanted to get back on, out on the field. Doctor let me go out there again. Um, and then that kind of started at least... You know, a good month of some serious, serious symptoms, you know, not being able to sleep, being extremely uh, sensitive to light and noise. Man, like he had a concussion. Then they had a week off. He went and played again. And like he said, sparked up like, no, I knocked out. Like that's how he dealt with. Then he did say he wanted to go play. But the suit is like there was no doctors that are looking for the care of the players. Uh, This is going to be ugly. It's taken a while to get to rugby, but a new lawsuit from eight big time players. Uh, and you know what? I think they got a great case in front of them. We've learned so much more over the last 15 years, haven't we? Yeah, yeah it is. And finally, this is P.S. Forest baths are coming the way of B.C. healthcare workers. In the tree, falls in the forest. Apparently, the idea is inspired by the Japanese practice of Shinrin-yoku, or forest bathing, Research shows that walking in a nature in nature results in medically recognized improvements in immune function and stress reduction. They're trying to raise some money and then they'll have guides virtually for BC healthcare workers going, hey, you know, make it look like you can get away and get a little bit of a break. Not necessarily how it will work, if it will work, but that's the idea that has been pushed forward. Forest baths coming your way, hopefully, to BC healthcare workers. Forest baths. Hey, I walk in the forest quite a bit. It is pleasant sometimes, but if you're stressed, you're still stressed. You're just looking around. So uh, well, Everybody there. falls in the forest, right? And that's exactly it, my friend. No BS, just PS, everybody. Uh, five minutes to 7 o'clock. Brian Burke joins us for his weekly visit with us next, right here on your home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. Let's get it going. It's time to get up. I'm worried about south of the border. So that's what we have to worry about is the good of 32 teams once Seattle comes in. And I'm worried about the short-term, first two, three years, and that's why I think the union's being short-sighted. These guys are here to break it all down. And I'm just trying to focus on myself, how I can get better, how I can help my teammates be better, how I can be ready Saturday to play our first preseason game. Let's have a little fun and make you a winner. I'm not wasting my 15 minutes in Vancouver every Thursday debating with an idiot. This is the starting lineup with James Zabolski and Perry Zolkowski. Two minutes after seven o'clock, a reminder that this hour of the starting lineup is a presentation of Dunbar Lumber, the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner, or Buter Street in Vancouver, or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. James Zabolski with you, along with Perry Zolkowski. Brian Burke will join us here momentarily on this Thursday morning where... Uh, those, uh, the, the divisions, man, this realignment, it is going to be tough. I mean, obviously we've been talking about the Canadian division for months now, Pear, but that ain't the only murderer's row that we're going to be looking at when we go with this, uh, this temporary divisional realignment here. 
Yeah, Pacific, Canada, Central, East. Uh, you like the East. I think the Canadians are going to be tough. Here's what I want to know, James, is, okay, so, you know, you can predict your 16 teams. Oh, what's going on? Do we got play-ins? Do we got another four teams going in? How will you decide? Is it most points, um, winning percentage, or is it just going to be 16 flat? I think it's going to be very tough for the Vancouver Canucks to get through a Canadian division. They only play at home or their only games in this time zone. A lot of travel for them to deal with. Um, I, you you think out east is a kind of a murderer's row. With the, you're going to see Ovechkin and Crosby eight or nine times. That's going to be awesome. Uh, there's nothing easy except if you're, you know, I think if you're hanging out in the Pacific and you get to come to California like Colorado and Vegas get to, uh, there's your easiest division because the rebuilds that are going on with all three California teams. Let's bring in Brian Burke, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Mr. Burke, how are you, sir? I'm good, guys. How are you? Uh, I just want to say congratulations on a fantastic book. I uh, just wrapped up with it, and, uh, man, there were times I wanted to hug you. There were times I laughed. There were times I was like, eh, I don't know if I agree with that, but, man, I couldn't put it down. It was fantastic. Well, what I hoped wow. when I wrote the book, I, I hoped, and I still do, that everyone that buys it enjoys reading it. Like when you charge 25 bucks for a, a book, I think that's a lot of money. And all I hope is, like you say, people might cry parts of it about Brendan. Might think I'm a jerk, which is fine. A lot of people do, and I don't really care. I'm not trying to change people's view of Brian Burke with the book. What I hope is that they enjoy reading it. So thank you. Uh, and James, you're, you, you've uh, I, I've put it to the side for a bit. I got back into it yesterday, Berkey. But I want to mention this because I had to smile. It's when you write about Keenan. And I remember so well because I was the host of the broadcast at Man at Maple Leaf Gardens. And I can remember talking to our producer, Greg Shannon, where we're going, what is Keenan doing here? Oh, my goodness. And it's like, get a shot of Berkey there. Okay, Perry, you got to ask for Keenan after the game. And the coach would never talk to you after a game. But there was Mike. Sure, I'll do the interview. Man, what a, what a night that was, hey? People don't yeah. know. Keenan pulled the goalie midway through the third period. You're down like by two. No, first like, period. Was it the first period? Yeah, he pulled yeah. it twice. So I oh. told Dave Nonis, I said, next whistle, I said, is there a delayed penalty? Because there's only one referee back then. And his arm wasn't up. I said, am I missing something? And he goes, no. I said, okay, every camera in the building is going to be on us at the next whistle. So we'll act nonchalant. So the cameras came to us. You look, we're both like chatting away or sitting there stoically. But I told, I told Mike off after, and after the game. And by the way, so people have asked me this, and you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, the stories in the book, you know, like about Mike Keenan. Um, I didn't tell any tales out of school. Every, every story in that book is something that our team widely knew. So if you talk about Kevin Weeks or you talk about Pierre Maguire, these are stories that you could have heard, Perry, or anyone yeah. else. You could have heard from anyone on that team. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't air out any dirty laundry here. These are stories that all the players knew, all the staff knew. And these are stories that if you were drinking beer with Dave Nonis in the last 10 years, you've heard these stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was something. Next, next book, the next book might have some dirty laundry in it, but this one won't. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, well, I you know, tell you what, I, I want to get to your uh, to, to how it ended here uh, in a little bit, but but kind of where we're at with the news of of the now as it looks like the economic framework is, is kind of done here with the players and, and the league. Um, Gary Bettman talking to NHL.com yesterday, uh, basically alluding to, hey, look, we're, we're in all likelihood. We've known this for months. It feels like that this Canadian division is going to go down. But you look at how uh, what this temporary realignment is going to, to come like. And, uh, you know, obviously the Canadian division is going to be tough. But, man, I look at that Boston Rangers, Philly, Pittsburgh, Washington, Buffalo, Jersey, Islanders. Like To me, that might be the toughest division uh, with the realignment here, Brian. Yeah, I, I think it's either that division or the Canadian division. The Canadian, like right now, all the Canadian teams are getting better in a hurry. It's a great time to be a, a Canadian team fan. Vancouver might have tread water here this year because they lost a lot, but all the other teams are getting better in a hurry, and Vancouver has gotten better in a hurry. It's really exciting. Uh, other than that, yeah, that division, ooh, Philly, Rangers, all teams that are good or are getting good. Could you complain, and they're not, but you did as a GM. We always hear the Travel the Canucks app. They don't get any games that they're you know in their time zone other than home games. Is that just par for the course? Nothing's going to be normal this year? It's 2020, man. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact the fact is we got to play. So like, yeah, it's terrible for them. Now, I think the league's going to do some scheduling that's intelligent. Finally, I've been whining about this since I worked in Vancouver. Our league schedule is terrible. We play too many games, so that's a different issue. But it's terrible. Like I just told this story on Calgary Radio, my last year in Calgary, three years ago. They had us travel to Toronto and play on Wednesday night. Montreal Thursday night home. So we had to fly Tuesday, play Wednesday, play Thursday home. And I get the schedule. Like, so we're all used to the Vancouver Canucks. We're all used to getting jerked around for hockey night in Canada. These were weekday games. And I called Steve Hatsopetros from the league. I said, what are you doing? That's a $300,000 airfare bill. Like Air Canada Jets, J-E-T-Z, the charter company the Canucks use, charges $32,000 a block hour. So to fly three hours is $96,000. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So we're going to fly to Toronto, play one game, post-game fly to Montreal, play one game, and then fly home. Get us Buffalo, get us Ottawa, get us Winnipeg on the way home. And they said, no, you're going to see a different scheduling approach now because now money does matter. And so the Vancouver Canucks, they're not going to go to Calgary and play once. They're going to go to Calgary and play twice. And then they're going to go to Edmonton and play twice. Then Winnipeg and play twice. Like, you'll see more intelligent baseball-type scheduling. Which, you know, might finally be a step in the right direction long-term here for the National Hockey League. Brian Burke yeah, with us here. What's wrong yeah. with the back-to-back? Dress the right guys on yeah. Friday night. You'll I, have a sold-out building Saturday night. I, I don't I don't disagree. And, Brian, I know you you like the idea, but I, I, I've honestly always said this, and, and Perry always just, you know, it's the maybe it's the wrestling fan in me, but heat sells, right? Like, rivalries sell. Yes. What's wrong with a rivalry? Like, what, like, like I'm telling you. We used to play back-to-backs, home-and-homes. Remember? You guys remember yes. back in the day. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. home-and-homes, the second game was always interesting because something happened the night before. There was a grudge carried over. 
And, and now it'll be, instead of home and home, it'll be back-to-back in the same building. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm a season ticket holder here in Toronto. Like, I don't mind that. If the, if the Vancouver Canucks come here and play Friday, Saturday, I'm in. I'm going to both games. Yeah, you you think the league will take something out of 2020-2021 season, and if everything's back to normal as we hope next October, you will see Bettman going, you know what, guys, that worked. What do you think? Let's implement it into the 82-game schedule? Uh, hope, hopefully. The best part about this, we're playing, okay, so you guys are tap dancing on the economics. I don't get this, by the way, that we're playing. I don't get this, the deal that was made with the players. The players are going to owe the owners so much money. It makes no sense, but that's different. That's a different. We'll talk about that in a minute or next week. The fact that we're playing is really important to me because I don't worry about the game and the future of the game in Canada, but I worry about the game and the future of the game in the states. You've got unemployment over twenty percent in some of these states. This game is not coming back. We'll have no fans, a socially distanced fan. The losses will be staggering. We have to play, so I'm glad we're playing. I don't get the players' stance on the money. I, I don't understand it. They're going to come out of this in hawk up to their throats, up to their necks in hawk to the owners. So I don't get it. I don't get why they're not paying more of the money back, taking more of a pay cut, but that's fine. We're playing. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's encouraging. Okay, well, do you want to uh, address, I guess, the quasi-elephant in the room then from the economic standpoint? I mean, we've Well, talked about so, this so here's – Yeah, Yeah. so you, okay, so when we went to the pause in March, and I don't have all the numbers down – I'm not a numbers guy. You guys know that. I'm not an accountant. I'm a lawyer. But when they went to the pause in March, they the players owed the owners $600 million. That's what they were behind. They, they, they did not collect their last paycheck, which was $140 million back to the owners. And then we played in the bubble, and that saved about $200 million of television revenue. So if you say 600 less 140 less 200, you still have a big debt. And then they said, well, in March, we'll do a, we'll do a cap of 20% escrow and a 10% deferral. And I said this in real time. I don't like people in the media that go back and resurrect or reconstruct what they said. I said this in April. These numbers don't make sense. Like a 20% cap on escrow, it's going to be 50%. Like the, like the, the league revenues, the team revenues are going to be slashed by one GM told me last week, he's modeling on 30% revenue. His model is to play this year with 30% of last year's revenue. So we got no, no tickets, no concessions, the, the, the in-ice advertising, the, those people aren't going to pay full freight for that with a, a 5,000 people in the building or no one in the building rink boards, like revenues are going to dive. And yet the players are saying, well, we're going to take a 30% pay cut and we're not going to prorate. Now, see, so 30% pay cut, and then if you prorate, it might make more sense. You say, we're only playing 56 games. We'll prorate our money. Nope. We want all of our money less than 30% we agreed to. You agreed to it in March, and that's that. It doesn't make sense because that bill is just going to get slid forward. It's not collective bargaining. This is not 2004, 2005. They have a deal. They're 50-50 partners. It does not make sense to me. And so some well, of the burdens are going to be shifted forward, which which makes some sense to me. But they're going to be players players paying this bill that weren't even in the league when it was accrued. 
And, and Berkey, that's a question I have. James and I were having the conversation. I think to keep it simple and correct me if I'm wrong, it's essentially, hey, you're paying me now or you're paying me later, but it's 50-50. So if I'm losing money, you're going to lose money. My question was this, uh, as happens in Vancouver, we got into a Louis Erickson conversation, but I thought, man, if I'm Louis Erickson and I got a couple years left on my $6 million tab and he ends up retiring in the next two years, would they be able to go back and go, hey, Louie, uh, we're now making good. Part of that 2022 salary, uh, we now got to go back. Would you be able to to ask a player to give money back if he's out of the league but was in part it, of it when they were losing? Or are they pushing a pull? Inter interesting question. I don't know. Uh, a more current question would be, what about these guys who got all that money on July 1st? The signing like the Toronto Maple Leafs played, yeah. paid, uh, I want to say, $40 million on July 1st, maybe 50 mm -hmm. What about those guys? So you got Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Muzzin, and Nylander that all got big signing bonuses on July 1st. What do they do? If, if they have to give money back, I think the answer is yes, if the, if the, the union settled the debt. Here's what I think is happening. I think the players are betting on the league doing a big new TV deal in the U.S. I, I know that for a fact. I think the thinking is with the owners is, okay, we'll, we'll let you guys slide this year. We'll, we'll live with the bad deal we made, the 20% cap on escrow, and then we're going to use that NHL, the new TV contract in the U.S. as an ATM. So HRR will not go up. Even if the TV revenues double, HRR will stay the same. The cap will stay the same. It's an $80 million cap. That's that. In the meantime, we will take the $600 million you owe us out of the television deal. So that's my, my guess is what's happening. Talk to a couple owners, talk to a couple GMs. I think that's the betting. And if that's the mm. case, okay, have at it. Brian Burke here on Sportsnet 650. I, I want to pick your brain about uh, from a Canucks roster construct here. And yesterday the team – sign Jalen Chatfield to a, a one-year deal it, it's a two-way contract but he's yet to play an NHL game yet but you know coaches really raved about how he played and and worked out with the team in, in kind of the return to play training camp back in the summer you've got you've got an open spot um, you know in your third pairing a lot of people seem to think that it's going to be Ole Olevi's time to finally step in the former fifth overall selection here Brian but when you look at the depth like you know, you've got Hughes, you got Myers, you got Edler, you got Schmidt now in your top four. You know, Jordy Ben's got one more year with the team. I guess tell me this from your standpoint. Like the Canucks have talked about being younger, and you kind of alluded to this at the beginning of this conversation, but would you feel comfortable going with potentially two rookies uh, from, from a depth standpoint where you've already got Hughes, he's going to be a second-year guy and obviously was a revelation, but would you feel comfortable about the idea of a – of a Chatfield, Andy Olevy as your six and seven, or even a Brogan Rafferty, or would you feel more inclined to maybe look on the market to see if you can find some veteran depth, uh, you know, on a low budget deal? Like, would you feel comfortable as a GM? Yes, they really like Chatfield. Like, like yeah. this, okay, he's a rookie in the NHL, but he's not a rookie, not a first year pro. He's played a couple of years in Utica, right? Two years. Yeah, yeah, he's twenty four now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yep. he's been yeah, twenty four. He's an old man. <laughs> in, in rookie in rookie yeah. terms, yeah. And you let you levies. He's no rookie either. Like it might be his first year in the NHL, but he's no rookie. No, I'd be comfortable with that. Uh, they really like Chatfield, and and by the way, our guys did in Calgary too. 
So, like, this is a guy that, okay, it might be his first year in the NHL. If you're a Canucks season ticket holder, you look out and you see a rookie defenseman. But he's a third-year pro. I don't think he'll clear waivers. If he needs waivers, I know other teams like this guy. So they might have to stick with him. We had Jim Benning on after you last week, and um, I'm wondering did this. Fighting, did you ask him about fighting Steve McKeegan? Yes, we did. Yes, he did. He kind of kept it like he, you know, he he. It was it was gentleman Jim again. He just said, "Well, you know, that's, we told him not to leave what, the hey, net, and he left left the net." And like, Benji Benji is such a good guy. They went to overtime in Milwaukee. First off, we sent him down. And he runs out of gas in the snow calmly past. He's driving on I-90, runs out of gas. <laughs> and, and, like, who does that, right? This, I'll get all kinds of emails, but my wife used to drive the tank down to empty. I'm never, it's never below a quarter with me, right? That's just a guy. He runs out of gas in the snow calmly past, has to walk 10 miles to a gas station, get gas, and go back. So we're in the playoffs that year. And Steve McKeegan was a goaltender, and in overtime, it was after the regulation or even after the first overtime, he came in and he threw his gear into his stall and, and yelled at the defenseman something about, like, you guys, if you don't play better than this, I'm taking off my gear. And Benji attacked him. I remember the coaches called me after the game. Jim Benning got in a fight. I'm like, what? Like, Benji never fought. He went after Steve McKeegan, and, as he should have. He was like Steve – Benji was our leader down there. Like, he'd been in the NHL for 10 years. He was such a good guy. We sent him down. He didn't mope. He didn't pout. But he goes after the goalie. You don't think the rookies notice that? Jim Benning, who doesn't fight, went right after his own goalie for being a selfish jerk. It was great. <laughs> love, love it. I, you, in, in the book... Um... You know, it's funny because you know, I I was my I first came out to Vancouver in in the early two thousands and and covered the West Coast Express when you were kind of in charge of the team and then how things ultimately came to an end. Like I can remember you talking about, you know, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I remember you saying at news conferences, "God bless John McCaw." Um, to see how it ended, do you kind of think back at all, going, "Man, like." How did I ever say that? Because, you know, in the book, you kind of basically describe your end in Vancouver that you kind of, um, for rhymes with plucked, I guess, uh, would, would be one way to describe it. Well, let's, let's, let's talk about it. People, everyone listening, buy the book. Um, the fact of the matter is, at the end, my contract was structured a certain way, and, and they engineered my demise, and it, it cost me a lot of money. And that's, and that's okay. Like, that's... A lot of money. I don't – a lot of money. But the reason I don't say bad things about people I work for generally is, first off, my dad always taught me when someone offers you a job, the first thing you say is thank you. Whether you take the job or not, the first thing you say is thank you. Like you imagine someone I say to Perry, I, I say, Perry, I would like you to come work for me. Well, that's always a good thing. So John McCaw hired me. And it's funny because – the guy I came to work for, and I hope he's listening, the guy I came to work for in Vancouver was Steve Bellringer. He was the president. He was the guy that, that I really liked and really had a, a kinship with. He was gone in 18 months. I ended up working for Stan McCammon and then John. But when the Canucks offered me the job, I had not sat down with John McCaw. I'd met him at a couple league meetings and everything, but I had not sat down with him. And we were in the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm working for the league. Washington was playing Detroit. They got swept. 
and, and I said to Gary, I said, I'm going to, I have to go meet with McCaw. So on a day off in between, I flew to Seattle and met with John McCaw. And he's like, why do you want to meet with me? I'm like, you're, I'm not going to work for you unless I get a little better sense of who you are. And <laughs> so fair. that's when I gave him the two hands on the steering wheel speech and the whole thing. So when I went there, John was very interested in the Vancouver Canucks when I first got there, but then he met his second wife, who's lovely, great lady, and he just lost interest in the team. But so I don't remember saying God bless John McCarr. I wish I hadn't if I did, but I'm <laughs> I'm sure if you if you guys are quoting me, I'm sure I said it. And I am grateful. Anytime an owner hires you, like I work for five teams. I have an NHL record even though I didn't play in the NHL. I was a GM of five teams. No one else has done that. And I'm grateful to all of those owners, even when it didn't work out. So, yeah, John stiffed me badly, but he also mm-hmm. paid me for, for six years. I was there for six years. I, I, I got to say thank you. Um, I don't know if this is possible. You could get into it, but I'm looking for a one-word yes or no answer. Should we be pushing through with the World Junior Tournament considering what's going on in this country? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Buy the Why? book, everybody. Why, Brian? Why? Yeah. Why? We have to do the one thing I love about what's happening with this pandemic in pro sports. Look at the NFL. They're fighting through this. They're absolutely fighting through this. They have positive cases. They travel with 100 people. Can you imagine keeping 100 people safe? They travel with 45 players and 80 staff. Where It's crazy. And they're fighting through this because it's important to keep playing and important to keep television going, important to keep the game going. World Juniors is an important tournament. Yes, I love how they're trying to fight through it. I would just say the NFL, the NHL, those guys are all paid employees. We're dealing with kids at the World Juniors. Well, first off, oh, you're dealing with kids. None of these kids, this isn't part of their pro career. A lot of, well, many pro of them means are, they're getting many. money. They're not getting money to do this. Hockey Canada is getting all the money. Well, first off, the Hockey Canada is getting a bunch of the money. The IHF is getting the money, and that mm-hmm. money goes all goes back in the system. Like Hockey Canada isn't a private entity; they don't keep that money; they spend that money. So that argument that okay, they're not getting paid. This is like the NCAA argument. People say the NCAA players should get paid. What do you think happens to that money in Michigan? What do you think happens when Michigan sells 104,000 seats? At the big house, what do you think happens to that money? Well, it goes back into the schools, right? Yes. All it funds everything else. Same with Hockey Canada. Don't don't make a stupid argument about Hockey Canada gets all the money. They don't keep that money. So at Michigan, hey. it, funds their ti- it funds their Title IX sports. It funds their non-revenue sports. It funds their student fund. So the World Juniors, to me, is, yes, it's an important term. The World Championships, Okay. It's $30 million a year in television revenue. That goes back to hockey in Canada, in Israel, all the IHF countries. There's 230 countries in the IHF. So the money all goes back to a good cause. Like, don't, that's silly. That was Perry, by the way. We're out of time. Well, Coach K, one of the greatest coaches ever in the NCAA, said this week, I'm not sure we should be pushing these kids to play. We're out of time. I love when we start an argument. We're out of time. By the book. See you guys. Saved by the bell, right, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Take care.
Brian right. Burke, uh, a presentation of Andrew Sherritt Limited, uh, joining us this morning and pulling no punches. And I honestly, uh, you know, we, we joke, but I highly recommend if you're a hockey fan, if you are a Canucks fan, you will love reading this book. And what, or about two weeks from Christmas, I highly recommend it. And you can probably find it for about 25% off at a few bookstores as it is. So just saying. All right, uh, coming up, uh, more on Jalen Chatfield uh, signing with the Canucks and uh, digest a little bit what Brian had to say next right here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Benji was our leader down there. Like, he'd been in the NHL for 10 years. He was such a good guy. We set him down. He didn't mope. He didn't pout. But he goes after the goalie. You don't think the rookies notice that? Jim Benning, who doesn't fight, went right after his own goalie for being a selfish jerk. It was great. Now more of the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. Love how uh, the he said, he said version of that story, by the way. Oh. We talked to Jim Benning about it, and I just kind of stood up and got in the way and just kind of prevented things from escalating. Where Berkey's like, no, 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 Jim, Jim. Well, if, if you were in front of a high school class and said, all right, uh, write this story uh, about the incident and, and a young Jim Benning goes, oh, here's how it happened. And a Brian Burke goes, here's how I recall it. All right. Step number two, which one of these uh, recounts of the incident would be a better book? <laughs> like, I don't think Jim Benning's ever writing a book. Jim's not that guy. Berkey tells the story. Benning doesn't want to accentuate and exaggerate anything or any embellishment, even it is. Um, how you know? It's like, how was your day? Good. No, oh, my day was unbelievable. This guy gave me the finger. I'm driving right. Uh, Jim is that quiet guy. And that opposites attract. They get along great. A lot of respect for each other. But boy, the the story of Jim Benning uh, taking on the goalie in the dressing room was kind of pushed aside by Benning himself. But Berkey could turn it into a movie. No, Bergen not letting that go. Uh, you know, speaking of Jim Benning, uh, he signs Jalen Chatfield yesterday to a one-year, two-way contract. Interesting talking to Berkey about things and where, you know, he'd have no problem with that sort of seven defenseman. And, and I'm sure with a taxi squad, because of, you know, because of the limitations and because of the pandemic, I'm sure we'll be looking at expanded rosters pair. But, you know, the fact that you could be looking at the Canucks defensive lineup for this 2021 season looking like, you know, Hughes, Schmidt, Myers, Edler, Ben, Chatfield, Yolevi. I, I, you know, he's a right-handed D. Um, you know, he's not a big points guy, Jalen Chatfield, but you go back to three years ago now, Pear, when he had himself a camp. Uh, you know, Jalen Chatfield mm-hmm. had himself a preseason and took notice, but, you know, between him, between Ole Yolevi, you know, Jack Rathbone, uh, Brogan Rafferty, those four guys are going to push hard for an opportunity to see if they can be primetime players uh, and find a way to get some games this season with the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, at some point this experience is going to have to come. It kind of feels like, you know, the the breeze bois might have been passed by in some respects, but all of a sudden, like, that's the one area that has felt kind of thin uh, when it comes to the drafting regime of Jim Benning and company that the blue line, you're kind of going, okay, like who's taking the steps? It's always kind of coming free agency. You know, you, you inherited Edler and you had Tanev and now Tanev's gone to Calgary. But, you know, now all of a sudden you've got some guys and legitimate bodies that are pushing. 
Um, and Chatfield and Yolevi could be two that could be factoring into the lineup for this upcoming season. Well, you you, you look at, uh, you know, let, let's go over the past 15 years and, and two guys who became big staples of that blue line. And it wasn't like the praises were sung going, oh, you know what, they're going to be great. You know, one would be Kevin Bieksa who just played, you know, through the Manitoba Moose and through college hockey to earn that spot. You know, it was like, when's BXA coming up? When's BXA coming up? And the same thing with Chris Tanev, right? Played and just got into an opportunity. I don't think either of those guys were heralded as, that. hey, they're finally ready. So I wonder if through Jalen Chatfield and Berkey said they liked him in Calgary, if this organization said, hey, this is perfect for Chatfield. Everyone's talking about Ole Olevi. Now Brogan Rafferty comes to Utica, has a great rookie year. But there's Jalen Chatfield, who's doing everything we're asking him to do, and he's not getting all the publicity. You have to find one of those guys again. We expect Tyler Myers. We're paying him the money. Nate Schmidt's coming. They're going to do it. Even Ole Olevi, we've talked about for three years without him playing any NHL games. You know, he gets his playoff option, and, and, and there you go. He gets a game, and you go, hey, maybe finally he's ready. So is Jalen Chatfield, or is it Brogan Rafferty? But I do think they need to find one of those guys who becomes that, you know what, yeah, didn't talk about him, but he ended up playing 17 minutes. No obvious mistakes. You got to fill the void. You don't have Tanif anymore. You don't have Troy Stetcher, who, when you didn't talk about, it, would go, "Hey, right, didn't talk about him." Maybe it's maybe it's Jalen Chatfield. And sometimes the best thing for an organization is to give that guy all that responsibility, and he doesn't get any publicity. And then you go, you know what? He's ready. And I, I think that's how the organization feels that he'll play a handful of hockey games, maybe more. And if if he doesn't. It's not how much he adds, as long as he doesn't take away. Maybe he becomes a steady Eddie defenseman that they're looking for, unheralded, not making loads of money, but a guy that helps you win. Well, we're, we're talking about in the 50-year history of the Vancouver Canucks, we're talking about Quinn Hughes already being in that conversation of best yeah. defenseman in franchise history after one year, and that really kind of speaks about the lack of depth in this franchise's history on the back end. But now all of a sudden you've got some depth for guys who are at least vying for spots. Right, and it's not to say that Rafferty, Chatfield, Yolevi, Rathbone, Brisebois. It's not to say all those guys are going to pan out to be NHL defensemen, but if you can hit on forty percent of those, mm-hmm. I think that's a win, right? In terms of your prospect pool, to, if you can get forty percent of those five guys, you know that's two guys that could become NHL players. You know, whether that's Chatfield and Yolevi, whether that's Rafferty and Rathbone, whether that's Chatfield and Rafferty, whatever that looks like, that combination. I mean, you'd love for your fifth overall pick to turn out to be something, but now you finally got guys competing for positions. And, hey, look, the reality is, is Jordy Ben's not going to be here in a year from now, right? At the end of this season, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not bringing him back. I, I think if they would were able to, to cut bait on him now, I'm sure they probably would. But, you know, that's going to be another roster spot that's going to open up when you've got the money. And then Alex Edler's also a free agent, you know, at the end of the season. Maybe he comes back for a reduced rate, you know, at 35 years of age. But, you know, there's going to be opportunities for young players to step into the lineup. And we've been waiting for this, I feel like, for a half-decade pair for the for the Benning era to kind of get some help on the on the defensive end, and it feels like there's now reinforcements that are legitimately kicking tires to get a roster spot and show what they can well, do. 
Well, listen, you had to pick up a Luke Shen once. Um, you know, you pick up a Jordy Ben. Derek you, you play, and I thought, yeah, oh. right, and an Oscar Fantenberg, right? You're, you you needed to find veterans to help help your blue line. Now you know you've got a superstar and a young guy. You know you got a superstar in Nate Schmidt, and you know you've got, you know, the good and the bad of Tyler Myers, but an NHL-quality defenseman and a big guy. So can you move those $2 million salaries of a Jordy Ben? And when he does leave, go, no, we're fine. Chatfield's fine. He's, he's got 40 games under his belt, and, and, and he'll be able to do it, and he'll do it, and it won't be on a big salary. You're right. It's, you know, to make a team, you're going to have superstars, and you're going to have role players. And on the blue line, sometimes you just need that steady Eddie getting the job done. Not overly physical, but physical enough. Not the greatest passer, but can move the puck other than just going off the glass and out. And to your point, James, I think those potential prospects in a Rathbone and a Chatfield and a, and a Rafferty are guys that aren't necessarily being pushed. They're guys who've kind of marinated a little bit, be it in Utica or be it at college, and go, I think they are ready for the next step. They may not pan out, but it looks like everything points to the direction that one or two of these guys should hit and actually be, you know, just consistent NHL defensemen. Well, and you've been waiting, right? And, and, and let's yeah. see, because now we're finally going to get an opportunity to see guys have a chance to show what they can do. And you're right. You, you talk about the marination uh, and the marinating in the minor leagues with guys like Chatfield who, you know, Undrafted, right? There was a guy who who was didn't really come in with much fanfare, but came in as a guy who was an OA in 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 junior in the Ontario Hockey League, and just quietly got everybody to sit up and take notice of him in camp three years ago. Well, now we're three years later. He's got those experience, got those minutes, and he's he's had some injuries along the way in Utica. But you know, all I know is this: the coaching staff love what they saw from him in the summer. You know, working out, mm-hmm. skating with the team. You know, you could look very well that Jalen Chatfield, and at $700,000 and then whatever, you know, you take away the 30% with the salary deferrals and the escrow. But I, I'm i going to guess that Jalen Chatfield is going to be part of the Vancouver Canucks mix for this upcoming season. And so were they thinking, we've got Troy Stetcher, Troy deserves the one and a half, one point six. 1.6 or is Jalen Chatfield going to be a better option? I would think that's exactly what their discussion was. That either Chatfield or Rafferty will be able to pick up the loose end that we leave by Troy Stetcher. Similar to a couple of years ago when you got Ben Hutton, who had played so many minutes because of injury, which dictated in the promising world that was the NHL before COVID that, hey, here's a guy who's going to be making two or three. His numbers show that. Well, you know, they made the right decision on Ben Hutton. But he was that guy that you hoped had a pedigree that maybe he can do it. So you move on, and you don't lose a whole bunch. If you can find a Jalen Chatfield at $700,000 and a Rafferty and those guys to hit, that's as important for this team going forward, going, hey, yeah, you know, their they're, they're back end's not bad, actually. Those guys are some decent hockey players. They're not making a whole bunch of money, but they're putting them out in every situation. And if you look at how it was created, yeah, talk about where he played junior, talk about his couple years in every situation in Utica. I think the organization says he's ready. And he knows there's a spot to be filled and he'll play some games simply because of the setup this year and how many games are going to be played. Yeah. And, and you look, ne- you know, this off season or the next off season that comes around Edler at 6 million Ben at 8 million, like there's $8 million that comes off the books on that back end. Now does mm-hmm. Edler come back in the fold at a reduced rate? Um, that money's going to have to be reallotted, but you know, especially Quinn Hughes is going to get paid. Patterson's going to get paid, but 
you know, there's going to be opportunities for young players to finally step in here on this back end. We'll see how it all plays out. We'll get into more of this coming up at 8 o'clock, your Canucks commute coming your way. Also, uh, we'll catch up with uh, the president of the Vancouver Canadians. The Jays and the C's still like peas and carrots. Yeah, we're loving that right here on this uh, Thursday morning here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 748 here on this Thursday, December the 10th. Sabolski, Solkowski kicking it with you. And, uh, man, it was just a couple of weeks ago that uh, the world said goodbye to one of the greatest soccer players on the planet uh, in Diego Maradona passed away uh, way too soon at the age of 60 and, and another uh, soccer legend uh, left us here in the last 12 hours here pair and uh, Italian soccer star Paolo Rossi who was uh, kind of the face of the 1982 World Cup passed away at the age of 64 um, that was man but that my first soccer memory was watching Italy win the World Cup in yeah. 1982 like that was to me that was holy cow and to beat germany in that moment and you know, i i shared this on twitter this morning but my first memory running outside after italy won with my best friend at the time and i'm seven and we're yelling in the street in the neighborhood there was nobody out that day that afternoon we're yelling, italy won the cup italy won we ran over to a we had a neighbor uh, down the road who, who was from german family was german and we're standing out in the backyard just yelling italy won the cup italy won the you know, family just quietly turns on the hose and starts spraying us until we went away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what? You're so right. Like for me, that's the same thing. I think I was playing soccer during the 78 World Cup on a Sunday, didn't see it, but because of the neighborhood I grew up in, uh a lot of Italian friends. So that was the first time you kind of, you know, when we, we talk about what commercial uh, street is like and, and what it's like in Toronto, where you see your eclectic nationalities get together and what mm-hmm. that means for them. Uh, for me, with Paolo Rossi and that Italian win, it was like, okay, yeah, no, yeah, I'm going to be hearing about this for four years. And you kind of thought, yeah, there's the pride in what you show and how you see it. And, and that's such... Such a disappointment, you know, Canada would get in four years later, James, in 86. But that's the disappointing thing, how much we love to support the Canadian flag and, and hope our team can do something. And we've never been on that big stage, right? You get there once, and whether it's good or bad, we've never been back and go, man, wouldn't it be nice if we can actually gather together other than hockey and go, hey, we actually got a team in a World Cup, right? Well, you love, you really kind of see the diversity of this country, you know, at at a World Cup, right? You know, during the World Cup, and and we just kind of all fragment into our where where we all came from, you know, where where we all began. Uh, I always think back, you know, I was living in Toronto at the time during the 2010 World Cup, and we went to breakfast in Little Italy one morning as a family, and we're sitting in this uh, in, in this you know diner. And, you know, Italy was playing, so we had a table at the back. The restaurant's packed, and, you know, all the staff, they've all got the Italy, you know, either jerseys or Italian T-shirts on. And I think Italy was playing New Zealand in this one particular game. And they wound up tying. It was, it was a tie, and it, it, was not a, it was not a favorable result. And Italy obviously having a disappointing run in 2010. 
And I remember we were at a, at a table close to the back where the kitchen was, and there were like three people in Italian jerseys on the staff that were all high-fiving and, and kind of clapping quietly. And I kind of caught my eye going, this wasn't a good result for Italy. you know. And so I kind of got up and I went over to the guys standing at the kitchen. I said, all right, what's the deal here? You guys are all clapping and cheering in Italy jerseys, and this was not a good result for you guys. And then the two guys go, oh, I'm Portuguese. The other guy, I'm Portuguese. And the, the third guy <laughs> in the kitchen goes, I'm English. Screw them. <laughs> yeah. Oh. World Cup is great to find out who's the most obnoxious fan base, right? And the Canadians are in there too, right? Like when it comes to who's the most obnoxious. Oh, I yeah. can't stand those guys, right? Yeah. Everybody turns into Canucks Twitter all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, we, we should mention this. Uh, it is a Thursday, but, it, you know, you're counting down till Christmas. Want to remind everybody, uh, tomorrow is Food Bank Friday. It's a virtual fundraiser that we're a part of. Sportsnet 650, we're joining KISS Radio News 1130, Jack 96.9 to support Food Bank Friday, a virtual fundraiser, James. It's starting tomorrow, 6 a.m. with us. We'll take it right to 6 o'clock to raise important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food. So uh, please consider making your donations. Hey, and we're making it easy too, James, aren't they? As far as the use of emojis, uh, you know the deal. Carrot emoji, text it to 30333. That's a $5 donation. A banana to 30333 is going to donate $10. A red heart emoji, 3333. That'll be $25. So you can go to our site. We'll have a link there. But remember, um, you know, we're, we're telling great stories. We're all set for Christmas, but others need some help, and especially... Uh, at this time of year. So Food Bank Friday, virtual fundraiser starting here tomorrow at 6 a.m. Yeah, and, and Pear, look, I mean, this is in the years past. We're on location right at the corner of Georgia and Granville Street and, and there and interacting with a lot of our listeners. And obviously we can't do that this year, and we're all – uh, trying to do this virtually to help raise money for a greater cause. And, man, if there was ever a time and ever a year to try to help out for the Va- Greater Vancouver Food Bank, this is the year. But it's so simple, 30333. Text an emoji, as Perry mentioned. Man, a lot of us talk with emojis nowadays when you're you know sending messages on via your smartphone, right? Five bucks, ten bucks, twenty-five bucks. Hey, look, I think everybody can throw in five bucks or something along the way to help out people in need this year for the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. It's uh, that's coming up tomorrow, and uh, hope to raise a lot of money and up to twenty-five thousand dollars. Donations will be matched, Perry, so we can really do some good together collectively this year. You want to start your Friday off? You want to start your weekend off right? Do that early in the morning. That puts you in a good frame of mind. Do something nice for others. It makes you feel good. They pay it forward. We're in a better place in a tough situation right now. 100%. All right, uh, six minutes to 8 o'clock. Your Canucks commute coming up in a matter of moments. Uh, Also, Andy Dunn, the president of the Vancouver Canadians. Yes, the Jays are staying put as an affiliate with the Vancouver Canadians. Win-win. We'll get into that story and much, much more. All still ahead here on your home of the Canucks, home of Vancouver Hockey, Sportsnet 650. A cup of Joe and the Canuck commute. Right now, all the Canadian teams are getting better in a hurry. It's a great time to be a Canadian team fan. Vancouver might have tread water here this year because they lost a lot, but all the other teams are getting better in a hurry, and Vancouver has gotten better in a hurry. It's really exciting. A five-star morning on the starting lineup. It's your Canucks commute here on this Thursday, December the 10th, hour number three of the starting lineup. James Sabalski, Perry Solkowski. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, and Brian Burke making that point uh, about uh, just how tough the Canadian division will be. And yeah, they, like this could be a year. And I think that 
it doesn't get talked about enough here in this market pair. But the Canucks could conceivably take a stride back this year based on the development with young players, uh, some of the hits that they took in free agency. And I think there's a lot of optimism, a lot of excitement. I think Pedersen will get better. I think Hughes will get better. But, you know, as a team, they may take a stride back this year. Yeah, that's Berkey saying treading water, right? Um, there are projections that were out yesterday uh, using all the analytics suggesting the Canucks, you know, might be a second from the bottom next to Ottawa in that Canadian division. And you know what? If, not that I'm a better, but by the way, play the under and take the LA Rams today. I, I'm not so sure that that's not wrong. I do think we are going to see some big injuries to a lot of people if you don't have preseason games. We're going to see some issues with COVID. But when you've got Toronto, better team. Calgary, hate to see it, but what they did, they'll be a better team. I'm not so sure what goes on with Winnipeg. Their superstar has issues, but they're decent. Edmonton, they got two of the best players in the world. Montreal made so many changes to be better. Whether it works, I don't know. But treading water, and if you're going to have a bad year, if you're going to have a tough year where you take that one step back to take two forward, James, I look at the games you'll play, eight or nine games against Toronto and Calgary and Edmonton. It is going, it's going to be almost like playoff hockey, right? How often do we say in the regular season, what a battle this is going to be? So I do think the Canucks are going to have a short season of tough hockey games that will eventually make them that much better next year when they welcome in some games against Anaheim and the Kings in San Jose. I think it's a perfect setup. It's like someone being called up to the big leagues going, I think you're ready to play, and then going, okay, this is going to be intense. And, you know, are they going to make it? I'm not so sure. They might have to tread water like Berkey says. Nope. Um, look, there's you're going to see internal growth, but this team is also going to get younger. You know, the Canucks general manager mm -hmm. said as much last week when we talked to Jim Benning, right? You know, look at the guys that we're talking about potentially joining the Canucks roster this year. There's a hope that Vasily Podkolzin, when his contract's up in the spring, maybe he finds a way here, right? Depending on how much room is left in the season, if he's not taking part in the World Hockey Championship, you know, maybe Podkolzin's here. And I think they would love to have him here. You know, does Hoaglander factor into a roster spot? Does he compete? You know, I'm sure the team would love to see him take that jump and compete. Yo, Levy, Chatfield. We talked about Jalen Chatfield in the last 24 hours finally signing with the Canucks. And it's a two-way deal for him. But as a 24-year-old who has yet to play an NHL game, this might finally be the year. You know, does Brogan Rafferty, who really showed some offensive upside in the, in the American Hockey League with Utica, is he ready to take another stride forward? Like, there's, there's an opportunity, and I think Jim Benning has alluded to as much, we're not looking for any more veteran guys here to add to this team right now. We're going to try to grow as a group internally, and that's with youth. And timing is everything, James. So if that's how they're going to approach this year, and I completely agree with it, grow young. So next year, you're back to 82 games. You're back to people in the building, and you come to July, or I guess it would be August or September when they decide to move everything as far as free agency, and you go, well, we uh, we don't have Sutter's contract, so there's $4 million. You now, if Michael Furland's not part of this team, you have the $3 million there. You're at 7 Tanner Pearson's done. Now you're at $11 million. Uh, You know, Berchie's contract's done. Have you bought someone else? So, so you have more money, maybe some buried. 
Alex Edler's not coming back at six million. I think he'll want to play. He might be like a Zidane Chera. You figure something out, and he comes back for less money. And you go, all right. Here's what the kids did in that shortened season. Here's the money we have. We'll get it to Petey. We'll get Quinn separated. Brother, they're set. Now what do we do? We actually have some money to go out and help them again. So it's almost. I don't want to say it's a transition year, but I do think it was wise not to go looking and spending any money. Play it. Play the kids. See where you are. You may be good enough with Thatcher, Demko, and every good on run that you could be in the postseason. If you're not, you're battle-tested because you played in a tough Canadian division and you have some money to spend to go, here's where the holes are. Here's the money. We can plug them in and be set to go for the 2021-22 season. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, the smart alternative, by the way, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Buter Street in Vancouver or check them out online at DunbarLumber.com. I believe this is Steve in Vancouver texting in saying, um, you know, Toronto's dysfunctional, Winnipeg's got no D, Calgary's poopy, Edmonton has no goalie or defenseman. Um, you look at how, yes, I mean, there are legitimate questions surrounding yeah. every Canadian team. But I think the Canucks are also a team that has a lot of questions. Goaltending, man. You know, you lost an all-star goaltender. And and look, I, I think I, three months ago, I think I was suggesting the Canucks should be looking at Braden Holtby. You know, he mm-hmm. could help. But at the same time, Braden Holtby has been trending in the wrong direction for the last couple of years. I think there's an optimism that he can find his game again. Thatcher Debko, three of the greatest playoff games ever in Vancouver Canucks franchise history, what we saw, how the season closed out with what he what he did between the pipes for the Vancouver Canucks to keep them alive against Vegas to force a Game 7 pair when that team really had no business doing that. Thatcher Demko was unbelievable. But if you look at the big picture of Thatcher Demko last year, man, there was a stretch when Jacob Markstrom went down before the world went on pause that Thatcher Demko was struggling to keep his head above water as a number one goaltender. Right. So there are a lot of questions to be asked there between the pipes for the Vancouver Canucks. You know, we get caught up in who had the best rap party, if you will, for the hockey teams in Canada. It was the Canucks. Man, they were playing hockey. They were the guys who survived the bubble the longest. And Steve's not wrong. Toronto is dysfunctional, but they went in and they got some veteran guys in Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons and said, yeah, we recognize our problem. So I think we fixed it. Winnipeg, no defense. I'm questioning about the Jets, but that was a hockey team that lost some of their star players in the bubble. Calgary, well, they know where their issues were, and they went and got Jacob Markstrom. Edmonton, no, they didn't help their goaltending situation, but they bring Tyson Berry in. They made some additions. Uh, tourists, and you go, they. I think they're better too. Now you look at the Canucks and go, well, hang on, where did you get better? Well, Nate Schmidt's going to help you, but you do have a void at right wing. It's been recognized by the organization, but maybe kids step up. So you can make an argument for everything, but as you said, James, let's not forget that before COVID came in, we were sitting here every morning going, oh, my goodness, the Canucks need to win tonight. Thatcher Demko's got to get in the groove. When's Markstrom back? Uh-oh, Tanif is hurt, right? This team were struggling to get into the postseason. And Chris Higgins on this show used the word fraud. And you go, wow, you know, maybe there are other teams in the NHL that look at the Canucks and go, okay, really? Thatcher Demko can't be that good. He was incredible. They, they played well against the team of Stanley Cup champions that weren't ready to go. Are they as good as we saw in the bubble? Well, we'll find out in a 56-game sprint, and it's going to be tough competition considering where they sit in the Canadian division. I look at Vance in the loop saying that, do you think that will re-sign Edler to finish off his career? I can yep. see us trading him to Florida or Tampa, and that's where we seem to send all players to die. No, you know what? I could see Edler coming back after this year. Could you? 
no doubt. Yeah, I hey. not at six million. No, but I do think he's got a little Zdeno Chara in him. Like I would like to play, and if I can play in Vancouver, if we can work out a price tag, he's made his big money. If we can work out a price tag, um, I'll stay and play here. I, I like the setup. I like the people. They figured it out last year when it was chance to find some money. I think Alex Hedler might be that one player that goes, no, I'll, I'll stick out here. What did the Sedins do? Wrote a letter to make sure everyone knows we're near the end of our career. We are not being traded anywhere else. We want to end it here. I could for sure see Alex Hedler and a relationship with this city taking him to the, this is where I want to play and this is where I want to finish my career. And Alex Edler being a guy that goes, you don't need 20 minutes from me. This is awesome. If you just need 12 or 13, the odd time for me, I'm that kind of character. I'll quietly do my job for sure. I think Vance, he will, he will make a point to go on. If I'm going to play anywhere, I'm playing here. Oh, I, I mean to, to have him come back and to reduce his minutes. And I would, I would assume his numbers will come down this year because now with the addition of Nate Schmidt as part of that mix um, now and, and the rise, obviously, of Quinn Hughes, you know, you could start to reduce. But they still, like, you look at the playoffs, they still leaned on him a lot where mm-hmm. he's still 22 and a half minutes a night where over the course of his career he's been a guy playing north of 24 minutes. But if you could start easing him into at 35, you know, 20 minutes, just under 20, I think that would certainly work, right? Like that's 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 a that would be I think a fit. Let's see where his season kind of goes this year. But for a guy who was drafted pair, like we're talking 16 plus years now since he was drafted mm-hmm. by the team in 2004, right? You know, if if he could, wants to finish his career here, I think you try to explore the opportunity unless management's completely done, but here's a guy who committed to this team at a time when they went through maybe the most painful stretch in franchise history. And that's saying something, considering there were some lean freaking years in the first 15 years of existence for this franchise. But to kind of get to this point now, I mean, if you could have Alex Edler as a guy who slots in somewhere between 4, 5, and 6 on your defensive blue line and still give you a solid 18 to 20 a night if need be, I do that. Not at six million, but if you know if you're looking at somewhere to say maybe three or somewhere in the neighborhood, give or take. I think that well could and it'll be up to him. And you know, sometimes NHL players get to that point, but you know, depending on where this team is, if if they are not going to be in a playoff position and the trade deadline comes, that that's exactly the type of player that those in contention will foam for. Hey, what's Alex Edler want to do? He's got three months left. Does he want a legitimate shot at winning a Stanley Cup? And if Alex Edler is that guy, which I don't think he is, he would say, yeah, you know, move me. Hey, you you were in Ottawa where Alfredson was moved a little bit. And you go, I don't know if that was the right end to the career. Some go for it and some don't. I think Alex Edler is cut from the Sedine cloth, that sweetest cloth of, hey, I'm happy here. And if you guys want me here, I'd like to see this through. I still got something to give. And I'll stay with you here, and we can work out a deal next year. Let's make sure I'm not picked up off a roster and sent to Seattle because I don't want to play there. Mm-hmm. And I could see him doing exactly like Zdeno Chera. Hey, I'm, I'm still a big part of this team, but I want to wear that uniform. He did it for the last few years of his career. Maybe Alex Edler is that one guy, the one guy who played in that 2011 series, say, no, I'm going to ride this out while these guys get better. 
Uh, all right, want to change the page here for uh, just a moment. Has uh, Major League Baseball announced uh, they unveiled the majority of their revamped minor leagues uh, yesterday, and Vancouver named uh, Toronto's advanced single A high powered team. You wanted more baseball at the Nat? You got it. You're looking at a 132 game schedule now, uh, but with it comes some rain and some dark, and you know you gotta you gotta be a legitimate fan to go to the Nat sometimes at certain times of the season. The president of the Vancouver Canadiens. Always looking forward to catching up with Andy Dunn, who joins us here uh, this morning on the starting lineup. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, guys. How are we doing today? More baseball, man, and the Jays' relationship. Like, I was happy to see this. I, I, I feel like there is a legitimate connection with Canada's Major League Baseball team in this market, and I'm glad you guys were able to work it out. Well, it was important. Uh, you know, it's it was really what I thought was always and should have been our home is to continue with the Jays. Because, I mean, the Jays represent the country. Um, they need a West Coast presence. They need the TV market out West. I think we've proven over the last decade that we've been great partners in uh, helping develop talent both locally, and that has gone on to Toronto to help the Jays at the big league level, doing the right things in the community. And and I know that the Jays staff and players love being in Vancouver, and, and it's important. It's an important part of the player development process to get these kids up in the country, get them exposed to some of the culture uh, that is in Canada. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's going to be a great partnership that we're very proud to be able to continue and uh, proud to be able to bring more baseball games to the city of Vancouver. Andy, our friend Steve Ewan at Post Media saying that it was the Premier who actually made a phone call too. Were you surprised at that, that that John Horgan reached out to Edward Rogers to just talk about how much it meant to Vancouver? If you guys knew how many political meetings I'd sat through in the past 12 months, whether it's <laughs> on the team in Vancouver or the team in California, talk, you know, obviously can't thank the Premier enough and want to say thank you to him for his involvement and efforts. And But there's so many people that helped get involved to make sure that ownership in toronto understood how important the relationship was in vancouver and uh i mean no there's you know we weren't going to leave many stones unturned and uh you know jake reached out to the premier and he reached out to edward rogers and you know you know it's, it's not a bad thing to have the premier as a fan and a friend and someone who's willing to help you out when you need him and we certainly appreciate all his assistance does this mean he gets free tickets now Oh, nobody gets a free ticket. Come on. Ah, that's what I'm talking about, Andy. That's what I wanted to hear. <laughs> John would Don's the type of guy who's gonna buy a beer and a hot dog, a couple of them. So that's what you need. How different does it become for you in operating, Andy, the fact that we've got that many more games sitting down at the net? You're gonna play a hundred and thirty two game schedule, so do the math. Yeah, you've got a whole bunch of games here. We got a whole bunch of games. I mean, we're still finalizing, waiting for the finalization of what will be the new agreement with major league baseball. I mean, there's going to be a changes when it comes to facility and clubhouses and cages and travel. So there's going to be a ton of new operational guidelines we'll have to go by. Um, you know, having games earlier in the year, some years it's going to be great. Some years it's, we're going to have some challenges, but you know, we can't control the weather patterns, but, uh, you know, baseball has been played in April and May before in Vancouver and uh, we're just going to get out there and, put a good product on the field, make sure we're, we're giving the fans a quality day or night of entertainment and uh, develop some players. I mean, this is what Major League Baseball, this is the cards we've been dealt. Uh, you know, we are looking forward to the 
increase the two-step level of increase of player. Uh, and, you know, like I said a couple times to some people yesterday, it's it's a lot more polished game. It's a lot cleaner game. Uh, it's a more physical game because the guys are a little more mature and developed physically. So it's it's going to be a better product on the field. And again, I certainly understand sometimes we'll have challenges in April, early May, and also understand and hope that we have some good weather sometimes April and May, but we'll still always have mid-May to September to continue what we've last 10 years and, or 13 years and park in that Bailey and have some fun during the summer. Wait, so give us a sense for, for the average listener uh, right now wondering, so, sure. okay, you go down to the Nat Andy in the summer, and it's, hey, it's, you know, you're soaking up the sun, you're having a few beers, you're maybe getting, I mean, when we're all, you know, back in a normal sort of circumstance, but, sure. you know, you'd see some first-round picks that would show up uh, playing the short season, but, you know, give us a sense of what the level's like. As you said, it, it's an increased level of play here now, right? It's an increased level of play, and, you know, what happened to us, we got caught a couple times just based on our level. And, you know, if there was a young kid coming out of the Dominican complex or a kid who was a high draft pick out of college, sometimes, you know, he might stay or he might go to Bluefield and then finish the year. And then we're hoping he's coming to Vancouver the next year. Well, the kid, you know, gets on a, the offseason program, has a strong spring training. They don't want to keep him in camp because Lansing, which was the high, the low A club prior, was starting in April. Instead of sending, do we want to send the kid to Lansing and let him play, or am I going to sit this kid in the Gulf Coast League and just play on the back fields? So you know, we didn't, we lost out on seeing um, Bichette. We lost out on seeing Vlad Jr. because they didn't keep him in camp and then send him to Vancouver. They went ahead and progress progressed him up to Lansing, and those guys obviously had the talent and they wouldn't have had success. But the great thing now is being at the high A level, we'll skip a lot of that in every major prospect that the Jays will come through the Jays system. We'll spend time in Vancouver. I don't care if he's a first round pick out of college or a first round pick out of high school. And he has to develop at another place for a year, year and a half. They will be coming through Vancouver. So our fans will not miss anybody who's going to be one of the premier prospects in the system. How do how will that change things for you from an operating level? They'll obviously keep closer tabs on everything now. Not that they weren't, but it sounds like, hey, if they've got a diamond and they're going to Vancouver, will you be more contact and manage more in contact with the Toronto organization? No, it'll be the same from from that aspect. It's just we just won't get leapfrog, and there won't have to be a decision made whether you know do I do I skip this kid a level and leave him in the complex for half a year, or go ahead and put him out in front of. 7,000 people in Vancouver, you know, by this point, those kids are going to be, that's a natural progression is you have to go to Vancouver before you go to double A. And, you know, for me, I think high A is one of the best levels of baseball that and double A that's where you really separate, you know, the men from the boys when it comes from a talent standpoint, but that's where, that's where, that's where the kids really rise to, because, you know, the biggest jump in baseball is from high A to double A. And if you can control the level of what we're going to be moving to, those kids are going to be on a trajectory to actually get some quality time in the big leagues. Andy Dunn, the president of the Vancouver Canadiens here on Sportsnet 650. Andy, you know, when I was a kid uh, selling hot dogs for the Montreal Expos AAA affiliate, the Ottawa Lynx, you know, you get games in April where there was the threat of snow in eastern Canada. Uh, I don't think we'll sure. have to worry about that in April, but at the same time, it's damp and wet. 
Like, will you be exploring a whiskey sponsor now to keep people warm? <laughs> not a bad idea. You know, that's really not a bad idea. Uh, you know, we're fortunate. You know, I don't think the. I mean, I've been blown away not growing up in Vancouver and, you know, and I, where I'm from, there's a little drizzle. We kind of stay inside. The people in Vancouver, there's a little drizzle. They go out and go because there's quite a bit of it. And when I, when I first got there, it was it was kind of mind-blowing to me. But, you know, the great thing about Nat Bailey is we have so much covered seating. Anything we do in the future, we'll make sure we cover it. And I think it's a pretty good opportunity for the radio station to come out right now and just say, we're going to buy 100,000 rain ponchos that we're going to sponsor to give away to fans who come to the ballpark. On oh, I like, I like it. I like it. Could be a sponsor by the whiskey, the whiskey poncho. <laughs> the whiskey poncho, and, you know, maybe your show, could, you know, you guys do pretty well. You got to step up and sponsor that night for us. Yeah, you know and, what? Uh, I, I, well, I mean, I don't know if the, in the show, but, yeah. yeah, Andy, I don't know if uh, C-Mac, the boss, will allow me to spend the company's money, but I really like the concept of that. You know, the spilled liquor poncho and, you know, great for both Rain and uh, the drunk guy behind you. Know, you. the great thing is when you find a challenge in life, there's always a solution, and if you can make it a fun solution, then, you know what, everybody's going to love it. Yes, well, and that's, hey, that's the thing. Everyone who goes to the Nat has fun, and now we got more opportunities to do it. So, uh, man, that's what, and, and Andy, this is a 10-year deal. Is, is, is that confirmed? Yeah, that's confirmed. It's a 10-year agreement. Um, so the days of, you know, having the opportunity or the chance of switching your affiliate or having your affiliate switch on you every two or four years are gone. It's a 10-year agreement and something that, uh, you know, we're looking forward to getting the paperwork going through what Major League Baseball is going to uh, show as part of the agreement, hopefully getting that executed, and away we go because we're excited to continue our partnership with our great friends in Toronto. I, I think that makes uh, I think that makes a world of difference to have that long-term stability, not having to, to wonder what's happening, and, and at the same time, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier this morning, but for the last 20 years, that's – that the Jays have been the one team on TV in this country where the Mariners don't penetrate regionally anymore and unless you have MLB networks. So I think that's a huge win here for the organization and for, for baseball in the spring and summers at the Nat. Andy, nice to catch up with you, sir. Stay safe out there, and uh, let's talk some baseball again real soon, okay? Uh, you guys stay safe as well and appreciate the time and look forward to catching up with you next time. Get those whiskey ponchos going. Holidays. Yeah. All right, see you guys. Take care. There he is. Uh, Andy Dunn, the president of the Vancouver Canadiens. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can hear the excitement in his voice. And, hey, look, you wanted more ball, you're going to get it. It's not always going to be a perfect five-star day, um, you know, or a six-tanker day in Shangri-La, as Dick Versace used to say, Pear. But more baseball. And I think a lot of people in this market welcome it here in this town. Well, and, and the great thing that Andy said is is now if you're playing a single a high-A ball, you're going to see – the star players, you know, he mentioned Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero. Like, hey, yep. if we would have had it, they would have come here. Man, we've been talking about those guys for a long time. So there will be the next guys coming. The Jays got good prospects. And if they're coming to Vancouver, it's not the hit and miss. Oh, Stroman pitched here. He, this, it, it'll be, no, they're coming. And you're going to see them. Whether you've seen them for a long time or a short period of time, they're coming. I think that just enhances the conversation and the connection. Going, no, well, we're, we're, we watched these guys play in Vancouver, and, and now there they are playing in Toronto. So uh, wonderful news, and uh, it's exciting that he can get that done. You can hear all the 
Canadian games here on 650. Looking yeah. forward to uh, the it. partnership that we continue going on. Our own Greg Ballack on the other side of the glass, calling several of those games last year, and um, you know if if you know if, so if you can handle you know nails on a chalkboard, I mean. Greg Ballack could be the guy bringing you all the action again next year. Don't you think Ballack at some point should ask you and I to come up and, and just hang out for an inning or two? Like, we bring him on the air here. Why would you go, hey, you guys Buddy, coming up? Uh, you can... Hanging out at the Nat is an easy sell for me. I yeah. love going to the Nat and just enjoying those. Uh, those nooners at the Nat, to me, are one of my favorite things to do in uh, in the 604. James is usually working on eating one of those yard dogs, so he's too busy to come up to the booth most of the time. Yeah. You just don't want to be in a bathroom yeah, after me later that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 26 minutes after 8 o'clock on this Thursday morning. There's an image everybody has for the starting of their day. Uh, Brian Burke pulling no punches as usual. He joined us earlier this morning. We'll share that conversation with you next right here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to The Starting Lineup with James Cebulski and Perry Solkowski on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. 831, text into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Why can't the Canadians use BC Place in April and May? Because that would suck the life and energy out of a vibe or uh, a minor league baseball game. Wouldn't you think, Perry? I can't believe you read that. I was just going to respond to the text and say, because of the boat show. Come on. <laughs> you, you, what are you paying for Nat Bailey? What are you paying for BC Place? Uh, BC Place is not an option. It wouldn't go in there. It costs to heat that thing up. It's There's no deals at BC Place, and there's no vibe at BC Place. It's not the same. That's, you know, that's I, why the Nat's there, right? It's the best facility there is in Vancouver, James. Totally. You know, I got to I got to say this. Um John Horgan, you know, to hear that news that he had reached out on behalf of the Vancouver Canadians uh, to reach out to Rogers, you know, our own parent company here at Sportsnet 650. But to hear that the the premier of British Columbia reached out about the importance of, you know, minor league baseball here in Vancouver. uh, I got a lot of respect for that. I got a lot of time for that. And it's funny because I haven't necessarily been the biggest John Horgan guy because of the way that you know, the Horgan government has treated the Massey Tunnel and the replacement for it because it impacts uh, people in my region, in my neck of the woods. And, you know, it's it's just the worst gridlock in the country, in my opinion, and they still have yet to deal with it. And it sounds like we're looking at another decade before it does get resolved. But, man, there's a lot of things that he has done that have kind of really won me over over the last while and, you know, to handle a lot of things. Uh, and, man, that guy cares about sports. You know, I, I think if you're if you're a sports fan like that guy is, you know, our, when he first got elected in and there he was, you know, watching the championship with, you know, the new West, you know, watching New West and Victoria battling it out in lacrosse and, you know, tried to do everything he could to support and trying to get the, the NHL from a bubble standpoint, but also kind of drew a line from a health and safety standpoint. Like, you know, he's done a lot for sports here in this community. I, I got a lot of respect for that. Well, uh, you know, and as Andy Dunn said, I, I think it's great that he did. But Andy Dunn said, you don't leave any, um, you know, any rock unturned. So, you know, you, you think about it. Uh, he's also the same guy, James, you go back that, you know, Horgan said he wasn't w- willing to write a, a blank check to, you know, keep going after FIFA World Cups, you know, events, thinking that there still could be that possibility. Right. But John's a sports guy. 
And I, I think the Vancouver Canadians and the ties and the Canadian ties, you have to go, Hey, if I'm the head of the province, um, I'll make a phone call. If it's going to help, if it was the deciding factor, I don't know, but I, he's a guy who loves his Canucks. And, um, you know, I, I think the way our province has handled everything in the last eight months of John Horgan and Adrian Dix, um, you know, led by, uh, Dr. Henry, uh, things have gone as, as, you know, we haven't, we haven't had a void in leadership in our province, I think in the last eight months, Hey, it's been tough. Some people haven't liked it, but I got no issues with the leadership of what we've been showing in our province. We saw the Dr. Bonnie shuffle yesterday, too, before the news conference. She was yes, a hey, dance, a little so. vaccine shuffle, Super Bowl <laughs> shuffle. Yeah, you know, shout out to if you're over 80 and you'll get one in the next, like, three months, I think. Um, all right, 835. Brian Burke joined us bright and early this morning. And, look, hey, uh, it sounds like uh, we've got a clearer sense of what realignment will look like for the National Hockey League this upcoming season. Obviously, we know all about the Canadian division and what that looks like. But I'll tell you what. Boston, the Islanders, Pittsburgh, Washington, the Rangers all in the same division as well in the northeast sort of Atlantic area. That might be the toughest. We asked Brian what he thought might be earlier this morning here on your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Yeah, I think it's either that division or the Canadian division. Canadian, like right now, all the Canadian teams are getting better in a hurry. It's a great time to be a, a Canadian team fan. Vancouver might have might have tread water here this year because they lost a lot but all the other teams are getting better in a hurry and vancouver has gotten better in a hurry it's really exciting uh other than that yeah that division ooh, philly rangers all teams that are good or are getting good could you complain and they're not but you did as a gm we always hear the travel the canucks app they don't get any games that they're you know in their time zone other than home games is that just par for the course? Nothing's going to be normal this year. It's 2020, man. Yeah. <laughs> and and the fact the fact is, we got to play. So, like, yeah, it's terrible for them. Now, I think the league's going to do some scheduling that's intelligent. Finally, I've been whining about this since I worked in Vancouver. Our league schedule is terrible. We play too many games, so that's a different issue. But it's terrible. Like I just told this story on Calgary Radio. My last year in Calgary three years ago, they had us travel to Toronto and play on Wednesday night, Montreal Thursday night home. So we had to fly Tuesday, play Wednesday, play Thursday home. And I get the schedule. Like, so we're all used to the Vancouver Canucks. We're all used to getting jerked around for hockey night in Canada. These were weekday games. And I called Steve Hatsopetros from the league. I said, what are you doing? That's a $300,000 airfare bill. Like Air Canada Jets, J-E-T-Z, the charter company that Canucks use, charges $32,000 a block hour. So to fly three hours is $96,000. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So we're going to fly to Toronto, play one game, post-game fly to Montreal, play one game, and then fly home. Get us Buffalo, get us Ottawa, get us Winnipeg on the way home. And they said no. You're going to see a different scheduling approach now because now money does matter. And so the Vancouver Canucks, they're not going to go to Calgary and play once. They're going to go to Calgary and play twice. And then they're going to go to Edmonton and play twice. Then Winnipeg and play twice. Like you'll see more intelligent baseball-type scheduling. 
which, you know, might finally be a step in the right direction long-term here for the National Hockey League. Brian Burke yeah, with us here. What's wrong with a back-to-back? Dress the right guys on yeah. Friday night. You'll I, have a sold-out building Saturday night. I, I don't I don't disagree. And, Brian, I know you will you like the idea, but I, I, I've honestly always said this, and, and Perry always just, you know, it's the maybe it's the wrestling fan in me, but heat sells, right? Like, rivalries sell. Yes. What's wrong with a rivalry? Like, what, like, like I'm telling you. We used to play back-to-backs, home and homes. Remember? You guys remember yes. back in the day. Sure. Yeah. And yeah. home and homes, it, the second game was always interesting because something happened the night before. There was a grudge carried over. And, and now it'll be, instead of home and home, it'll be back-to-back in the same building. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm a season ticket holder here in Toronto. Like, I don't mind that. If the, if the Vancouver Canucks come here and play Friday, Saturday, I'm in. I'm going to both games. Yeah, you you think the league will take something out of 2020-2021 season and if everything's back to normal as we hope next October, you will see Batman going, you know what guys, that worked. What do you think? Let's implement it into the 82 game schedule. Uh, hope hopefully the best part about this we're playing. Okay, so you guys are tap dancing on the economics. I don't get this by the way that we're playing. I don't get the the deal that was made with the players. The players are going to owe the owners so much money. It makes no sense, but that's different. That's a different. We'll talk about that in a minute or next week. The fact that we're playing is really important to me because I don't worry about the game and the future of the game in Canada, but I worry about the game and the future of the game in the States. You've got unemployment over 20% in some of these States. This game is not coming back. We'll have no fans or socially distanced fans. The losses will be staggering. We have to play. So I'm glad we're playing. I don't get the player's stance on the money. I, I don't understand it. They're going to come out of this in hawk up to their throats, up to their necks in hawk to the owners. So I don't get it. I don't get why they're not paying more of the money back, taking more of a pay cut, but that's fine. We're playing. I'm excited about that. Yeah, that's encouraging. Okay, well, do you want to uh, address, I guess, the quasi-elephant in the room then from the economic standpoint? I mean, we've well, talked about so, this so here's – Yeah, yeah so you, okay, so when we went to the pause in March, and I don't have all the numbers down – I'm not a numbers guy. You guys know that. I'm not an accountant. I'm a lawyer. But when they went to the pause in March, they the players owed the owners $600 million. That's what they were behind. They, they, they did not collect their last paycheck, which was $140 million back to the owners. And then we played in the bubble, and that saved about $200 million of television revenue. So if you say 600 less 140 less 200, you still have a big debt. And then they said, well, in March, we'll do a, we'll do a cap of 20% escrow and a 10% deferral. And I said this in real time. I don't like people in the media that go back and resurrect or reconstruct what they said. I said this in April. These numbers don't make sense. Like a 20% cap on escrow, it's going to be 50%. Like the, like the, the league revenues, the team revenues are going to be slashed by one GM told me last week, he's modeling on 30% revenue. His model is to play this year with 30% of last year's revenue. So you got no, no tickets, no concessions, the, the, the in-ice advertising, those people aren't going to pay full freight for that with a, a 5,000 people in the building or no one in the building rink boards, like revenues are going to dive. And yet the players are saying, well, we're going to take a 30% pay cut 
and we're not going to prorate. So, so 30% pay cut, and then if you prorate, it might make more sense. You say, we're only playing 56 games. We'll prorate our money. Nope. We want all of our money less than 30% we agreed to. You agreed to it in March, and that's that. It doesn't make sense because that bill is just going to get slid forward. It's not collective bargaining. This is not 2004, 2005. They have a deal. They're 50-50 partners. It does not make sense to me. And so some well, of those burdens are being shifted forward, which which makes some sense to me. But they're going to be players players paying this bill that weren't even in the league when it was accrued. And, and Berkey, that's a question I have. James and I were having the conversation. I think to keep it se- simple, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's essentially, hey, you're paying me now or you're paying me later, but it's 50-50. So if I'm losing money, you're going to lose money. My question was this, uh, as happens in Vancouver, we got into a Louis Erickson conversation. But I thought, man, if I'm Louis Erickson and I got a couple years left on my $6 million tab, and he ends up retiring in the next two years, would they be able to go back and go, hey, Louis, uh, we're now making good. Part of that 2022 salary, uh, we now got to go back. Would you be able to to ask a player to give money back if he's out of the league but was in part of it when they were losing? Or are they pushing a Inter- Interesting question. I don't know. Uh, a more current question would be, what about these guys who got all that money on July 1st? The like the Toronto Maple Leafs played, yeah. paid, uh, I want to say, $40 million on July 1st, maybe 50 mm-hmm. What about those guys? So you got Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Muzzin, and Nylander that all got big signing bonuses on July 1st. What do they do? If, if they have to give money back, I think the answer is yes, if the, if the, the union settled the debt. Here's what I think is happening. I think that players are betting on the league doing a big new TV deal in the U.S. I, I know that for a fact. There's Brian Burke, and this is exactly uh, what we talked about earlier this week, Pear, right? Uh, unless unless the players are hoping and anticipating that I think the league's got to be as well, right? Thinking that there is a big payday looming from a cable deal uh, in the U.S. that might be more in line or maybe even exceeding the landmark $5 billion deal that we saw Rogers, our parent company, sign with the National Hockey League back in 2013. And, you know, NBC's deal is set to expire in what? Uh, at the end of this season. So, and that was what? $2 billion over 10, 10 years. Too long a deal. And the NHL's kind of missed the boat on some of this big money that the NFL and the NBA have seen in recent years. Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to find that kind of money because the timing of it's not good. But I do understand the philosophy of the Players Association when it's a 50-50 business and they go, hey, we've just signed this for, you know, a, a half billion dollars, great revenue. And the players go, that's awesome. The 250 is ours. And the league goes, actually, no, because, you know, we, we've got to take all that because you guys didn't want to defer more money. And maybe that's the play. They needed to play, and, and Berkey can, can talk all he want that the players should have given more back because they will eventually. But if, as he said, an ATM machine in the, the revenue being generated by broadcast, if they look at it, you guys take it, sometimes that's easier, right? Give me all the money now, and then when you make it later, the fact that you, you gave it to me now, you, you can keep what's coming down the road. So we'll see. I, I don't like to get into the dollars and cents of it right now. We've kind of celebrated hockey's coming back, but certainly the business side where Berkey is, there's a lot of stuff that's going to have to be done over years to come to pay for what 20, 2021 has brought us. Well, in fairness, Pear, 
it's not done until it's done, right? And so we continue to wait on that. All right, 846, some final thoughts before we turn things over to the Scott Rintoul Show next. Uh, Team Canada making some cuts. World Juniors, we'll give you that next right here on Sportsnet 650. This is the starting lineup with James Sabolski and Perry Solkowski on Sportsnet 650. All right, 10 minutes to uh, 9 o'clock. The Scott Rentrell Show coming your way at the top of the hour. Uh, Sabalski and Solkowski ready to get on out of here for the day. Um, seven cuts this morning, pair, from uh, Canada's World Junior Selection Camp in Red Deer. Um, they're going to continue to play, right? Uh, and camp continues till the 13th, but they've got to whittle some bodies down. Uh, and they did that with seven today. Yeah, so 34 players remain. I, I suppose with all your travels with this, were you ever, I mean, you were different because you're more the broadcast, but it's always the tough stories, right? That, that they have the cameras in front of the kids and they get the knock on the door and the excitement and then the other's disappointed. I wonder if these players let go today, only one from the Western Hockey League, Adam Beckman, who plays for Spokane. Um, I wonder how they look back at their experience, right? I mean, I guess they'll talk about it forever. A, they wanted to be on that team. But you were there, and then you hung out for 14 days. You didn't get a chance to practice. Then you get a couple sessions on the ice, and and then you're cut. Uh, what a strange experience to be a part of trying to make that 2020 team and falling short. Like I hated, I hated covering that portion of it. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I nobody cried harder than John Tavares when he got cut. You know, and it was the first time that yeah. he had ever been cut in anything uh, in his life. Uh, you know, and he was. You know, and he was an underager at that at that particular time. But um, Brett Brochu gets cut, um, yeah, out of the OHL. Tristan Lennox uh, out of Saginaw with the OHL, as you mentioned. Adam Beckman, Tyson Forrester uh, from Barry, Hendricks Lapierre uh, out of Gatineau, uh, Cole Schwint uh, from Mississauga, and then Shane Wright, who's a highly touted prospect. He's only 16 though, uh, from the Kingston mm-hmm. Frontenacs so of the OHL. Um, but yeah, I mean, John Tavares. Oh, man, he sobbed. He was so upset. And you got 10 cameras in the kid's face at that age. I remember Drew Doughty getting cut. He was 17, um, but he was kind of wide-eyed. Like, everybody kind of sat up and took notice, going, man, this kid's good. Like, he's going to be something. You know, look out yeah. in a year from now, and he turned out to be, obviously, one of the best defensemen still in the National Hockey League. Um, you know, notable. I remember Carey Price when the World Juniors were here and Justin Pogge stole the show. Parrot, I'll never forget it. And and Price was still sitting in the lobby in the hotel, um, sitting on a couch with a couple of the guys who'd been cut, and they're all kind of looking kind of with disdain or a little bit of envy and disappointment watching the other guys kind of celebrating, and they're waiting to get their buses and, and, you know, head to the airport to head home. But I'll never forget what Carey Price said. He just kind of said it out loud for anybody to hear, and I was kind of sitting with some of those guys, and he just said, I'm going to come back here next year and I'm going to dominate. And yeah. what do you know? A year later, 2007 Lexan, just absolutely sensational. And you think of that shootout with Jonathan Taze and Carey Price, who stole the show that year. Well, I think when these kids deliver the bad news, there is such a legacy of those who have had that exact same speech and have turned on to be incredible NHL players. They go, come back next year and you're, there won't be an issue. And these kids, because they're at the top of their level and the first time they hear something like this, make that note, right? DiPietro told us the story, right? You put it in your phone and I'm like, I got cut. And then they go on to some bigger things. But nonetheless, a tough day for those kids, what they've been through in the last month. 
Uh, we got to get out of here tomorrow. It's Friday. Coming up on the show, Tavon Campbell from the L.A. Chargers. Looking forward to catching up to one of the fastest men in the National Football League. Uh, we'll also dive into some more Canucks conversation as well. It's all happening Friday morning. Talk to you then. Same bad time. Same bad channel right here on Sportsnet 650.